right. It looks like everything is in order, so let's go ahead and get things started. Hello. Hey, welcome. what's going on? Welcome, welcome. Another wonderful night. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, for those of you who did not see any of our obnoxious posting on social media, uh, tonight we're <laughs> going to be... Us on social media, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely everything that we talk about. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, attribute identity and what that means for legends. And I'll go ahead and preface that we'll probably make a lot of Magic the Gathering references because uh, they're... Their uh, conception of the color pie, and if you don't know what that is, we will explain it, uh, is kind of what sets the standard for attribute and or color identity and how do you like use that and uh, legends, game designers, uh, most of them have a large Magic the Gathering background, so it's you know very clear that the influence is there and so on and so forth, so... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it's a cool thing. It's one of the cool things that makes Legends uh, more unique among the the Hearthstone-like card game community, if you will. You know, I mean, you have uh, a whole host of of, uh, of different colors that you can mix and match, then to create the own your own uh, you know the class you want to feel like playing. Uh, and each color brings its own elements to the class, and it's a nice discussion that'll be about the weaknesses and strengths and why that works and why it doesn't. Yeah, so I guess first, some background, right? If you don't know yeah. what, like, attribute identity is, or kind of like what we mean when we say that, it's the idea that uh, an attribute in Legends, um, oftentimes also called colors, right? So we mean, like, strength, endurance, willpower, etc. Uh, an attribute by itself almost has, like, a mini theme, Right? You may have already noticed it, and you may have even noticed it, but kind of only subconsciously recognized it. Um, but each attribute in Legends has things that it does well, and things that it does not do well, and certain themes that it carries forward. So the, the easy way to identify some of those things is like in the core set, for example, certain races were only in certain attributes, right? Orcs were only in yep. willpower and strength because orcs were like part of that attribute. Now, as we get more cards, things are kind of bleeding over. So uh, the races are not necessarily attribute specific, but that that's another, uh, you know, like quick example. Uh, another great example would be like silence, right? That's another easy one to point out. Similarly, uh, silence belongs to just strength and endurance um, and so on and so forth, right? Like uh, hard removal, just straight, you know, destroy a creature is definitely a trait of willpower, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So we'll talk about the different attribute identities um, and, you know, how we envision them, or at least how I envision them. And then Justin, we might not always agree on things. Um, but I also want to talk about why it's important in a game like this and why you don't see it in games like Hearthstone because there are some pretty core differences between the two. I completely agree. I mean, just like from a fundamental standpoint, I think that uh, one of the things that Hearthstone really gets wrong with uh, making its classes unique is by historically printing so many really good playable, uh, strong, neutral cards that can go in every deck, which creates sort of homogeny. Uh, when you're on the ladder for instance like dr boom is a good example of a card that almost every deck ran 
and it removed some of the uniqueness of, of saying, hey, I want to be a hunter today. Elder Scrolls Legends does a much better job than Hearthstone in this respect by uh, putting the, the powerful cards in colors, or in the, and the most powerful cards in dual attributes, in dual colors, the class-specific cards, and uh, putting utility stuff and uh, fun combo pieces in neutral. Yeah, so I guess that is a great place to kind of start, right? So, you know, Justin's hitting the nail on the head. In Hearthstone, not only was there like a homogeny, but also classes are what they are going to be. A mage will only ever be a mage in Hearthstone, right? So in order to allow mages to kind of be on an equal footing with other classes, they have to give them tools to do those things. And so Hearthstone tends to lean pretty hard on like the neutral cards because that is how you keep things equal. That's not to say that classes don't have an identity in Hearthstone, because they certainly do, but mm -hmm. It's not where, like, the strength really, like, lies in many cases. Um, right. Where in a game like Legends or, you know, again, the originator of kind of like this color wheel mentality, uh, Magic the Gathering, they know you're going to mix and match. In fact, they plan on it. And so they can purposefully create these imbalances to create interesting <laughs> matchups. Um you know, Magic the Gathering, so for those of you who don't know, Magic has five colors in it as well, right? There's white, black, blue, red, and green. And if you ever see the back of a Magic the Gathering card, those colors are arranged in a very specific, like, order. And they do it so that they are showcasing what are friendly colors and what are enemy colors. So, for example, uh, white will have blue and green next to it. And then furthest away from it are red and black. And then, as you might have guessed, uh, white has a lot of things that helps you like counteract red and black cards, and a lots of things that synergize with, you know, blue and green cards. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you won't ever see like white and black or white and red working together. But this is just kind of what helps set like the core identity in that game. And you know, certain colors can do certain things in Magic. So a great example is uh, black never has any good ways to deal with enchantments in that game, right? Um, right? You just, if you're playing black, you have to, like, look for artifact help or pair another color with it to deal with enchantments. And this uh, game, uh, you know, the other Elder Scrolls Legends, this game definitely has a lot of very similar, like, mechanics and ideologies that kind of pop out. Um, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier with uh, silence and things like that. Um, what are what are some more like pretty straightforward examples that you can think of? Sure. So I think that uh, maybe a, a way to make this most approachable for the audience would be to say like take a, a, a something that every color does in its own way, and take a look at how the color then reflects its identity within that mechanic, right? So, so the one that comes immediately in mind is like the simplest, which is creature removal, okay? Uh, in blue, you see creature removal in the form of direct damage, right? Like lightning bolt, fire bolt, firestorm, ice storm, and Kano, sh uh, shocking Wamasu. <clears throat> blue removes creatures by directly dealing damage to them, right? This creates weaknesses in the color, like things like ward to uh, creatures that specifically can't be damaged by actions. Uh, but it also creates a, a sort of, you know, a unique identity for blue and that a lot of these cards can be used to direct damage at the opponent which means that uh you know there's a, some give and take with that removal 
in yellow you have just destroyed creature right you have uh, cheaper conditional stuff like execute which destroys a small creature and you have piercing javelin which destroys a larger creature in red you have uh, some flex stuff right you have fill the mighty which is an interesting card for red to have which destroys a large creature but it's sort of reflected in red's low to the ground mentality with uh you know charge tokens small creatures the swarm you know the sort of thing like that and you also have um, uh, effects like Unstoppable Rage, you have Firestorm, I'm sorry, not Firestorm, Fireball for small ping effects, which is represented by things like Skaven Pyromancer as well. Uh, and then in purple, you have no direct removal. You have Mummify, you have the uh, Lay Down Arms, which reduce creatures' uh, attack and defense. Yeah, there's also the uh, Waves of the Fallen. I would almost say that Endurance yeah. is the home of the Transform effects as a form of removal. Absolutely, that's as close as it gets, really. And then in green, you have a smattering of, of uh, effects that deal with wounded creatures, right? So this requires setup with either other cards or with your previous creatures. Um, and then you finish off and Leaflerker as the most noteworthy examples of this. But there are other cards in, in green that deal with this as well, as well as a handful of minus one, minus one cards, like Charles Reaper, Curse, um, Murkwater Witch, so on and so forth. So that's, that's how each color then uh, expresses what it does through its removal. And yeah. uh, by keeping it unique like that, by saying, hey, green gets these minus one, minus one effects. Um, you're saying you're, you're giving players the opportunity then so let's say they they have some kind of uh cards in in the color they want to run like execute let's say or um drum the dramora that destroys a creature with attack to or less than you play you may want to combine those cards then with the cards to give minus one minus one so one of the interesting things that's almost kind of like unsaid there but i want to point it out is that Having creature removal be different per attribute isn't also just about them having their own unique identity, which is important, right? Like, thematically, I think that that's something that is very cool and stands out. But it also means that each attribute has uh, not just, like, strengths, but weaknesses to their form of removal. Exactly. So, you know, intelligence, great at doing direct damage, but uh, if you can't do enough direct damage, so if your creature is large, it's probably going to struggle... Uh, mm -hmm. If it has something like Ward, again, probably going to struggle. Um, cards like Mage Slayer as well will give, you know, specifically, like, intelligence fits. Um, you know... You know historically, uh, you just need to look at, like, Quinwell Burglar, or more recently, uh, Brynwolf, as cards that didn't pass the Lightning Bolt test, and that's why they weren't played. Right. And then for, like, Endurance, you know, that's like the cream of uh, the nothingness, right? Like... They, I mean, they have transform effects, which isn't like true removal, so it's more like kind of a stall tactic. Um, so that's almost like, you know, the consolation prize. That's definitely a weakness. Um, right. But then even ones that like you would consider potentially a strength, like you look at willpower, their technical weakness there is twofold. First, most of their effects are relatively expensive. Um, yep. You know, obviously execute isn't, but javelin, you know, five. Yes, it can kill any creature, but Honestly, if you're playing it, you know, on curve, if you will, on turn five, you're likely killing something that costs less than five. So you're in many ways going like negative magic a tempo. Um, and then it also inherently just doesn't deal well with uh, like mass removal, right? So something like intelligence, which excels at it because of firestorm and ice storm, you know, willpower's identity is also one of like single target. 
And then yeah. the agility package, you know, you you wouldn't think of it as uh, really being a weakness lately because of, you know, how many strong cards it's printed. But the truth is, like, the weakness that's supposed to exist there is that it's a conditional thing. Yes, you get the hard removal of, like, a willpower, but you have to do some setup as a result, right? Like, it's a finish-off effect. So, um, the one that jumps out at me uh, as, like, the oddball um, is strength, right? So, strength is weird to me because... To me, it feels like it's home of the ping effect. And for, again, we're using terminology, so if you don't know what ping means, ping is traditionally something that does one damage. Like, you just kind of poke something. You go ping, right? And you just, you poked it for one damage. And so if you ever hear ping effect, that's what we're talking about. So, uh, you know, again, Skaven Pyromancer, Sharpshooter Scouts, Rapid Shots, Fireball, like strength is home of ping effects, which has always felt weird to me for two reasons. Um, one, doing one damage doesn't really feel like a very strong effect like if i was going to have a mental image or a conjuration of what i would imagine strength would be that wouldn't be it um and then the other reason that strength is weird to me is you mentioned fell the mighty and that's one of those cards that again like when i think of the psychology of strength i don't think of like david toppling goliath strength is the goliath so it's weird to me that 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 card resides there we need to crush the weak card. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, that exists. That's stone throw. And I think stone throw thematically makes sense. That's true. Right? Stone throw, I think, is the perfect removal for it. I yeah. I love that card from a design standpoint. So it's just really weird that they also got Fell the Mighty. Unless you consider... So this is where we go a little bit deeper with theme. And we'll start with strength because I think it's a great poster child for it. Unless you mm-hmm. follow one of strength's other tenants. So beyond just like... Uh, removal cycles right and beyond just like racial cycles in my opinion all of the attributes have like certain things that are also reflected in them Um, I did a YouTube video a long time ago and uh, you did one as well we both did one on strength um, because I think strength is like the coolest one of them but strength has this like rule-breaking identity Yeah, well, yeah, rule-breaking and rule-setting. So the way that I defined it back when I did my YouTube video is I said, strength is the color slash attribute that says, uh, you can't do that. It says no, right? So, like, Garnag is like, oh, you wanted more than seven Magicka? No. Mage Slayer is, oh, you wanted to deal damage with actions to to this creature? No. Uh, Stampede Sentinel, you wanted to shoot me in the face? No, right? Like, it sets rules... And in and denies things from your opponent, and I think in many ways that's kind of where Fell the Mighty would fall, right? Like I could buy that argument for it because it's basically yeah. saying like, oh, you wanted to play big things? No, not allowed. Right. Um, you know, I, I think we should just expand a little bit on our thoughts on strength. I mean, we can uh, go from color to color, but like you said, strength is definitely one of the most interesting colors, and uh, it's one that. I think it's the color whose mechanical identity has been fleshed out the most since um, the corset release. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, I guess let, let's start with this. What would you say are like three things that strength does, you know, mechanically, not necessarily thematically, but like what are the three mechanics that come immediately to mind when you think of the color red in this game? Like when I think uh, of, of strength mechanically, right? Like, so again, not like an overarching theme. I would say immediately silence, charge, and breakthrough. 
it's it's home sense. to it's home to uh, you know silence effects. You know, with the exception of endurance, it's like the only other place that they exist. So like that immediately jumps out. Um, it's <laughs> definitely home to the most creatures with charge. Um, yep. And then obviously uh, breakthrough. Uh, which again is one of those things that also thematically makes sense, but I th I'm pretty sure, I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure that strength is home to the most breakthrough creatures as well, just because of the nature of the giants uh, yeah, would, that are in the... I can, I can see that. I, I would I would, I would would say, uh, you know, silence is an interesting one because for some reason I don't associate silence so strongly with red, even though I think red probably has the most silence cards. I mean, I know it's got the bow, it's got the spinner. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I would go with the, the, the do one damage to something, you know, the Grotwood yeah. Ambusher um, effect, my favorite card. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you guys if you guys want to know, uh, know what it's like to hear, if you're listening to this on the audio portion, you just heard Justin lie. And if you're watching us live <laughs> or on YouTube right now, you just saw the face of a liar. Um, yeah. He doesn't Grotwood even Ambusher. like acknowledge that card existing, let alone let it be his favorite. Right. It's the most offensive prophecy in the game. Not because it's a bad card. In certain matchups, it's fantastic, but uh, it's never been run for the reason that it should. But anyway, um, I would go with the ping effects. I would definitely go with that. I would go with the charge, most definitely. And then I would go with the, uh, I mean, what we've seen hinted at since the release uh, is the rule setting stuff. Um, you know, you have a lot of, it, it, it's the, in, it's the most aggressive color, but you know what it also turns out to do a lot of is draw cards. Um, has a lot of equipment synergy. Um, but I, I, the big ones, I think we both agree on. Charge, definitely. Um, being like the, the hallmark keyword along with breakthrough for the color. Uh, but, you know, strength's got some weaknesses too, which are worth pointing out, right? Like, its removal package is relatively weak. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely got a weak removal package just because it's it's almost got like the weakness of other attributes combined, right? Like it's got the problems that intelligence has because the pings are really only taking out small things. And it's got the problems of like willpower in that some of its removal is like expensive and then on top of it, it's mm -hmm. conditional. Like the good thing about Fell the Mighty is it usually is, you know, pro Magicka tempo because it's likely killing, you know, with the exception of Young Mammoth, it's likely killing something <laughs> Uh, that's, yeah. you know, cost equal or more to it. But again, it, it has the potential to just kind of like be that dead card, just like uh, execute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would say, though, that like, unlike willpower that makes up for, I mean, you know, I guess let me put it like this. Strength also has some of the most inefficiently costed creatures in the game. <laughs> it pair it pairs that with some of the most efficiently costed. You know, it trades it trades stats like raw attack and defense power for uh, keywords and abilities, sort of like blue does. But in such an aggressive color, it means that like even though like I complain a lot about aggressive decks running red, like a lot of the red cards that are aggressive are sort of skill testing, right? Um, like, for instance, like you look at. Uh, Underworld Vigilante, right, which is a 4-1 uh, with charge, uh, with um, uh, that, that removes cover from all creatures in the lane you played in. And then you compare it to Cliff Racer, right? Cliff Racer is a much more uh, reliably, like, you're going to count on Cliff Racer to stick around in turn unless you just use it to trade for uh, 
for another creature that's smaller than it. Like you cannot trade effectively with Underworld Vigilante, which sort of forces you in a position where you're, if you're gonna run an Underworld Vigilante running deck, you're, you're likely to use it just as direct damage. You have the option of using it inefficiently to trade with, you know, it trades with every creature in the game except like Sweet Roll. Um, one for one that you know that it can trade into uh but you know you, you're forced to make those sorts of decisions when you're running strength i think that you know you look at historically you look at decks like merrick battle mage that uh were control decks that were in red and you, you saw like really high skill cap decks and i think that's one of the hallmarks of the color as well yeah it's interesting strength for much of the core set was almost viewed like the support color right yeah. you didn't yeah. you didn't really build decks that were core strength strength was the car or the color that you threw in to kind of shore up what you were missing or focus on just the like the, the singular like really powerful strength cards um it's interesting to me because you know now that you mention it strength is home to a lot of understated creatures and mm -hmm. people inherently and i don't blame them but they get kind of stat crazy at times right like they really focus on the you know, hey, this thing is garbage stats. Why would you ever play this over something else? Uh, for months and months and months, you know, maybe the best example is uh, I kept trying to shoehorn Rampaging Minotaur, a.k.a. the yeah. Meme Tar, into decks. And right. every time I was playing it, you know, on stream or I'd get it in YouTube comments or, like, on deck lists I would post, I would yeah. frequently hear the, you know, that card is garbage and you know it's way understated for what it does and i would usually reply with well, yeah but like it makes up for it in the keywords charge is the most powerful keyword in the game and it just mm -hmm. has enough health that like as long as tree minder is relevant this card is relevant if you're playing any sort of aggressive deck so um but you're right underworld vigilante falls into that um you know the even just the four one two drop like its stats are okay for a two drop but right. it's so brittle that, like, many, many, many times that I've played it, it just turns around and dies, and it feels like, oh, well, I'd, I'd feel much better if that was just a 3-2 orc with Prophecy, right? Like, if that was Lurking yeah. Crocodile, I would have been much happier. So. I, I totally agree. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting color. And, and uh, for you're right, like, for a long time it was viewed as the, the weakest color, the most one-dimensional color. So I think we should probably highlight then some of the things that have come out since the core set that have really, really expanded on what red does. Um, I know you mentioned Garnag already as an example of this. Yeah, Garnag is definitely something that came along and really helped reinforce what it was already doing. But I mean, I, I don't know how we can have this conversation and not just address the elephant in the room. And no, I don't mean the thing that Supreme Atromancer summons. I mean, Unstoppable Rage, right? Yeah, um, Unstoppable Rage is a huge powerhouse card. It's a it's a powerhouse card. I remember I remember very vividly when when we were doing the Follow I, the Dark I Brotherhood. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> like, so no, first first I remember when we were doing yeah. the Fall of the Dark Brotherhood spoilers, right? Yeah, For those of yeah. you guys uh, who don't know, um, when Justin and I and other content creators are given these spoilers, um, it's not like we get to see everything ahead of time. We get access to like our one spoiler and then we are seeing everything else new for uh, the first time just like you guys. Unstoppable Rage was not one of the cards that was spoiled, right? That's so right. when we first saw it, 
it was during the preview event. If you remember right, they invited us to play on the mm -hmm. private server and we could play through Act 1. And like I always do, so anytime Bethesda gives me access to their private test server, I mm -hmm. treat it like I'm a QA tester. So like I run through all of the existing I cards. You post the most amazing reports that saves me the trouble. Hey, yeah. Um, I run through everything. Like I look for like nerfs. I look to see if the monthly cards are shown early because we we have found that stuff in the past. Like we found yep. the burn and pillage nerf early. We found the yep. the tits kajit early as a monthly card. Um, yeah. But one of the things I immediately did is I went and I turned on like crafting, if you will, for the and then I filtered by Fall of the Dark Brotherhood so that we could see all of the cards that had not yet been spoiled during this preview mm -hmm. event. And when I got to Unstoppable Rage, even then, like I almost had a heart attack. I said, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, this card is going to be like amazing. Um, yeah. And it did not take long for people to figure it out, which of course then started an unstoppable wave of rage on, yeah. you know, forums and so forth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, looking back on that, um, it, you know, that resulted in the, the breakthrough keyword being, uh, the, the description of being changed because, you know, we all thought like it worked like trample and uh, it didn't turn out to work like, out like that. But uh, Unstoppable Rage is one of the most powerful cards in the game, hands down. Yeah, see, it's interesting because, like, I think we're this is definitely one of those points where you and I tend to disagree. Um, I certainly think that it has potential, but, like, if you were to tell me, like, hey, list your top ten most powerful cards in the game right now, like, I don't think it would make my top ten. Um, and, you know, I know that you have, you know, voiced issues and frustration with it for a long time, whereas... Um, if anybody yeah. wants to get, you know, pioneering and check my Reddit post history, uh, yeah. I adamantly defend it because I personally, my view is that I think it's a fantastically well-designed card and I think that it does everything you want out of a quality designed card. Um, I don't, I don't think it's overpowered. My complaint has always historically been that it is not fun to lose to. <laughs> yeah and i get that and i can't refute that because that's somebody's feelings but i just also yeah. usually i counter with like it's just not fun to lose um right. that card just feels like it's rubbing it in but the truth is like to me losing because i couldn't stop an unstoppable rage doesn't feel any worse than the times that like i've lost to undying dragon that i had no answer to and it's a 10 10 or any any time that I've lost to a Quinroll burglar that I didn't have the lightning bolt for, or I gotta, I gotta challenge this because a couple days ago I lost to a deck that was built around gaining life with frost troll, and I had a great time losing. <laughs> hey, like, uh, like two nights ago I lost to somebody who played Dramora Markinaz on. Yeah on a pure blood elder to turn it into a 32 32 breakthrough and Excellent. all i did was laugh yeah. like but i'm gonna be honest just because i laughed and just because i enjoyed it didn't yeah. make me okay with it fair enough real quick fun fact about dramora markinez um i don't you remember moxfire gaming he was a, yeah. a streamer he issued the mud crab challenge right where you had to kill a person in a single turn with just a mud crab i believe that i and the only person who have done that successfully, I dealt 32 damage with a mud crab one turn <laughs> with Dramora Markinas. Uh Dramora is one of my cards that like I want to see played more. I feel like there's yeah. combo deck potential that exists there. Um, sure. 
it's just so hard because of all of the other like quality game ending cards that exist but every time i look at that card i feel like it's just on the cusp of being relevant so i i've thought about putting it in a few decks and every time i do it's a deck that would also benefit from vigilant giant and i want to draw cards yeah I, um, I think giant doesn't get respect but like for me you, you know i said something bold so i just want to take a quick moment to highlight like why i feel this way right I yeah, feel absolutely. like I feel like Unstoppable Rage is incredibly well designed, and the reason that I feel like it is designed is because it's one of the few cards that you can say uh, definitely rewards skill on both sides of the table. Knowing how yeah. to play around Rage and doing it yeah. effectively. Not saying you can do it every time, but you can't play around every you know any card a hundred percent of the time, right? So that's true. Like. Knowing how to play around Rage definitely takes time and learning, right? There's a reason that it was really, really strong when it first released, and then as people adjusted, it kind of, like, petered out. Um, knowing how to play Rage and then set it up properly um, actually does take some skill. Uh, you know, do you risk things in the same lane? Do you play it in the shadow lane and go for the shift? Do you wait and try to combo it all in one turn? Do I use it defensively, so instead of going for the OTK, I just do it to survive? Like... It's one of those cards that requires some skill and decision making, and I, I think that we should definitely acknowledge and reward that. Um, it's also yeah. something that is interesting because, you know, at its heart, Legends is a creatures-based game. You know, I don't think we're ever going to see this game be like a Magic the Gathering, for the example, in that we're never going to see like 100% uh, action decks, and like that's all you do. Like at its core, it's meant to play things on the board and utilize the lanes and do those things. And yeah. Unstoppable Rage is one of those, like, removal cards that's also AoE that rewards you for playing creatures, right? When you look at, right. like, compared to Dawn's Wrath, you get more yeah. value out of Dawn's Wrath if you can blow up an empty lane, right? Not to say that, like, you don't mind blowing up your own little guys or whatever, but, um, you know, Rage rewards you for playing cards, and it rewards you for building around it and taking advantage of creature synergy and you know thinking ahead and it does all those things that like involves decisions and you know involves playing with the board on both sides it's one of those cards that's like hey you know you might want to use night mother for something other than you know killing 20 creatures right like you might want to just feed something targets like it enables combos right. um you know, I, I, I won't dispute that it can definitely be unfun to lose against, because as I said, in many ways it feels like it's rubbing it in. But to me, right, like it's... I would, I would almost argue that it is not... Um... Do you think it would be less offensive if it didn't have the word rage in the name? No, I mean, I think people <laughs> would still complain. I, I, I just think it's, it's almost unique in how, how much it rewards certain play styles and rewards skill, and I... I would hate for us to, like, if you nerf this card or you make changes to it or you do things like that, you're basically saying, like, you know, I don't want cards like that. And I would almost instead say, like, I want more cards like that. Give me more that is promoting this kind of playstyle, this kind of synergy. Um, I certainly, I, I'll agree with you that I prefer cards that either inspire people to build car decks, new decks, or play with cards they wouldn't otherwise play. And I definitely prefer cards that require people to think about their next turn, you know, as opposed to just playing things on curve. Unstoppable Rage does a good job of doing both those things really well. So, I mean, I can't disagree that I think it's well-designed either. I have to admit, like, my, my position on the card has softened quite a bit. Um, as the power level of decks in general went up when Heroes of Skyrim came out, uh, Unstoppable Rage felt more at home, and I grew more accustomed to it. 
Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely rage inducing. I do love the name. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, sure, I'm sure the guys at Direwolf were laughing when they named it. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that they were yeah. like, I'm, I'm pretty positive that they didn't give that out to spoil on purpose because they wanted that to be one of those like Christmas morning, you right. unwrap things sort of thing, um, which I, I think is great. Yeah. And you know, it, what it does too is, um, in, in line with our discussion tonight, Unstoppable Rage highlights one of the things that's kind of unique to, uh, to strength, which is using actions to that are your actions are fueled by the creatures you have on the board, right? Like uh, like Stone Throw, um, and uh, Quicksilver Crossbow is similar too, which also came out in uh, Fall of the Dark Brotherhood. Cards that require your creatures on the board to trigger other effects. Yeah, even before that. So again, talking about things that have come out since Corset, uh, Stone Shard Orc, who is like right. a superstar in Orcs. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely is you know it responds to board state as a you know a sort of conditional mm -hmm. removal yeah i mean it's almost unfortunate but sort of fortunate as well that we started with strength because i feel like strength is the most multifaceted uh of the attributes you know <laughs> um i don't know i think that there's a lot of discussion that we can be had on some of the other ones um well maybe... what uh what, what's your next what's your favorite color i guess That's well i think before we go to what my favorite color is um yeah. I, I want to, I guess, talk about the other kind of like hot topic slash elephant in the room, which is really what, uh, you know, made me want to talk about this this week period, right? And that's, okay. uh, I want to talk about endurance and I want to talk about mm -hmm. soul tear. So okay. we, when you and I were doing the back and forth about like, hey, you know, what do you want to talk about this week? Um, yeah. It was right after there was a pretty large discussion that had arisen again on Reddit around soul tear and what it does and how it treats things. I remember this now. Yeah. And now you remember, right? Um, so for me, the reason that I wanted to have the discussion is because like I, I was doing my own kind of like self-reflection and I was thinking, you know, at one time, Hey, you know, my biggest complaint about soul tear is the complaint that I used to have about Hisgrove, which is, you know, it kind of forces you into this, you know, if you want to play control and you want to try to edge out other control decks, you almost kind of have to, you know, you're almost forced into playing Endurance because it's going to outvalue everything else late, right? Like, that's what Solitaire yeah. does right now. It's not saying, like, oh, you can't play Control Mage. It's just Control Mage almost becomes, like, mid-control, and then anything that's running Endurance is, like, late, late, late control, but, like, it's the yeah. apex predator of that archetype. Now, at first I was like, yeah, that kind of bums me out, you know, because I would like to play some other decks and, and things that are more my playstyle, but then I immediately, upon my self-reflection, I said, you know, what if that's kind of the point, right? As much as people complain about soul terror, if I really think about attribute identity, the attribute is literally called endurance. It's meant to endure. If you're going to drag a game out, it should be the best at doing it, and it should be the best at, like, benefiting from doing it. And we see that in cards like Hisgrove and like Purebred Elder that like, they do it in the form of ramp, but really that's also kind of a way of like rewarding you for trying to drag the game out in a way. But right. like, maybe that's just Endurance's uh, like part of their attribute identity, right? Is that if you want to go to the, the, the ends of uh, the earth, if you will, right? If you really want to drag a game out, like it's going to be it. 
And if you want to play other control decks, then you have to have something that like kind of ramps up just underneath it. Like maybe Control Mage is still a thing, but maybe instead of um, you know the late game package it currently runs, maybe it drops a couple of them to sneak in Atromancers again or something. Or you know what I mean? Like it's got to have an answer if it wants to compete because yeah. it's not enduring. So I don't I don't know how I feel about it. You know, Solitaire is interesting. <clears throat> One of the things, uh, you know, <laughs> where do I begin with Solter and, and Endurance? So I think that Endurance being, let's start with the, the color theory part of it. I think Endurance being the color that wins the latest of late games is totally fine. And I like that as part of its identity, both because the color is called Endurance and just because somebody's got to do it. And, you know, you see that reflected in, uh, you know, the, the host of legendary and epic cards that cost nine, eight, nine or more in the color. As far as Solitaire specifically goes, I'm of two minds, right? Like, I think that his growth and Solitaire sort of are limiting to the meta in the sense that prior to, certainly prior to Solitaire, you could play a control deck in a bunch of colors and succeed. I think we could agree that even if you weren't tier one, you could play, uh, you know, after Fall of the Dark Brotherhood, certainly, you could play Monk Control, you could play Mage Control, you could play... Um, uh, spell sword control to to a positive win rate all the way to legend right and uh scout was it, it, it sort of preyed on those decks but it didn't you could beat scout without just going face you could beat scout by outvaluing them uh, you know in, in a medium to early late game type scenario solter gives it this inevitability right where I mean, it, it, if Parthenax couldn't give itself Solitaire, uh, the ability to bring back Parthenax with your own Solitaire would already make Scout an incredibly powerful late game deck. Uh, I'm glad that the mechanic exists in the game because I love seeing the interaction with the discard pile. Uh, you know, Falkreath Defiler, even though it's not a great card, um, was a really, really exciting spoil. I am of the opinion that you should probably limit the amount of effects like this in the, in the you know the competitive format at any given time and i wouldn't mind seeing another nerf to solter although the decks that i'm most you know find personally most aggravating to play against don't aren't the solter decks i have to admit yeah another thing that i find interesting about the card um is how drastically different a card like that is in power level just because of how the combat mechanics differ so like in magic the gathering like the counterpart would be raised dead i'm not even talking about the broken stuff that's a true reanimation pop stuff in play i just mean like magic the gathering raised dead is a one cost card puts a creature back in your hand and it's been around for forever and i can't ever remember a time that it was even close to being abusive or oppressive or you know what i mean yeah i agree but magic has at its core a very different combat system so in magic the gathering when a player attacks the defender chooses how combat occurs they can choose to block or not in legends the attacker gets to choose its targets which means they have initiative right so when you put something on the board they can attack into it and you know take value trades and keep the oppression going and so solitaire by letting you get back powerful cards that you can then use to continue to oppress the board because of value right. trades, it makes it so drastically different in value that even right. you know costing two more is still a problem for people. 
Um, yeah. I just I just find that like really interesting. Um, you know how how that one subtle difference makes like all the world. Well, you know, I think part of the reason these things are terribly problematic in magic, at least in standard, certainly in uh, in modern, these things happen from time to time. But in vintage, everybody's prepared for it. Is that these niche strategies, like strategies that exploit the, the discard pile or graveyard in magic? There's a there's a safety valve there in the sideboard, right? Like you're not going to run main deck anti scout tank because scout only is like maybe 20% of the ladder at any given time, um, if even that. Uh, but because you don't have the ability to sideboard in your anti solter tech, like you know, you have to be much more careful when designing these sorts of cards. So, the interesting thing to me is, like, I don't know what the right nerf is. Like, I've heard a lot of potential nerfs, and there are certainly plenty that I've said, like, yeah, okay, I would be fine with that. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, but I, at, at the heart of it, part of me is scared about, like, issuing a nerf like that because I would like to see more discard pile interaction um you know i'm at my core somebody who loved playing reanimator decks in uh you know magic the gathering and i love just those like long drawn out like recursion strategies like even if they're not big powerful creatures you know i think i said this last week during the podcast and i certainly have said it to you in conversations you know i love uh, you know, Ashing Ghouls and Undead Gladiators and all of those things. And I I just don't want to see, like, aggressive action taken against them. Yeah, I totally agree. Hey, I think I just uh, fixed the internet. Let me know, please. <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe. Alright. Um, yeah, so... Sorry, I, I lost sound for a minute there. Where were we at? <laughs> uh, basically, guys. no, sorry. no, no, you're fine. fine. You're fine. You were fixing your robot voice, and we yeah. all very much appreciate that. So to I'm catch you back up. I'm a potato through an Etch-A-Sketch. Um, to catch you back up, uh, I had given mine, and it was your turn to give your mother's maiden name, uh, right. the name of your middle school, and the last four digits of your social security number. Go. Man, unfortunately for everybody out there, if you steal my identity, you'll be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, please, steal my identity. You can only improve my credit. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, you know, I think that Fulcrate Defiler was a good example of a reanimation card because it was high risk, high reward. I think Solitaire is easy. Uh, and... I prefer my huge payoffs to be something you got to work for. I guess that's my philosophical look at it. That said, I don't think Solter is a huge problem necessarily. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Like, I'm not. Scout's my favorite class, and it's always been my favorite class. And I find it hard to be offended by uh, by uh, popularity of Solter decks. So, if if they were ever going to print one, right? What would your like requirement be for a direct reanimation card? 
If soul, if soul tear costs three and it's already a problem and all that does is put it back into your hand, do you yeah. think we will ever see just a true put a creature directly into play? Like raise dead is random and it requires yeah. like, like you have to play blood magic lord for nine, high roll the raise dead and then high roll on the trigger and even that was already powerful, right? Like, do you think we'll ever get a straight, just reanimate a card? I kind of hope we do. And I'd cost it at least seven. That's my, my you know, straightforward answer. I'd like it to be prohibitively costed so that, like, you could put it in, you could draft it in Arena, let's say, and get use out of it because, you know, the format's a little wonkier. You're not competing against as high quality of decks. But something at least seven is what I would cost it at. But I'd love to see a card that just says return target creature from a discard pile to the battlefield. Yeah, see, in my mind, I think that the minimum would actually have to be nine. Okay. And the reason, my reasoning behind that is, is because I, unfair or not, Tazcat is my barometer for, I think, these things. I say to yeah. myself, how often do I want my opponent playing Tazcat on me, like, every turn? And, like, it's got to cost at least as much as him if it can put him directly into play again. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, obviously, you know, scouting report, scouts report, discarding Anduin turn one uh, into ramp, into ramp, into reanimate Anduin is not a fun situation to imagine. But... I don't know. Um, I I kind of want to see that happen just because I don't know what an Anduin is. I would hate to see Alduin, but this Alduin. this Anduin guy I, is he like a celebrity chef or something? I I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, where is that in from? Is that, is that from another game? I don't know. Shit. Sorry, I'm so distracted by. I think it's I think it's from Warcraft, right? Is it is it Anduin a Warcraft uh, character? Maybe. I don't know. I never followed the lore. I just struggled with the RNG until Legends came out. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, I guess to me, like, you know, to circle back real quick, I just feel like, you know, maybe maybe that's Endurance's gig. Like, as much as, like, even if we end up nerfing Soul Tear, you know, we might never get out of Endurance being the apex predator of the control format because that just might be intended to be its color identity again when you look at Hisgrove and some of these other cards that have been printed i i feel like that is the way that the developers are going and you know on reflection i guess it makes sense right like it's endurance you right. should be able to endure so yeah I, i'm okay with that being part of its identity absolutely you know it's funny we went from strength to uh willpower I'm sorry, to endurance. I think strength and endurance coming from different angles have the best approach to attacking the typical, the prototypical control deck. And, uh, you know. I mean, it's certainly the, the source of the most greed right now. Right, right. So, you, earlier you asked me what my favorite attribute is. Uh, my yeah. favorite attribute is agility. Because I think okay. that as an overall attribute, like, I think it has its identity down the best, and I like everything that it does in there as a way to showcase its identity. Like, when I think of agility as an attribute and things that are agile and swift, like, you know, I think of, 
you know, RPG staples. So thieves, um, assassins, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that a high fantasy agile person or agile character would call to mind. So what, is, what does agility have, right? Agility has finish off, right? That's basically like your assassinate. Uh, it's got lethal creatures, which is again like your assassin archetype. It's got creatures that interact with cover. So there's your like hide in the shadows. It's got movement uh, in its uh, like identity, right? So it's uh, kind of bouncing around. It's, it's surviving by avoidance. Again, feels correct. It's got uh the the idea of like thievery right so home of uh pilfer creatures um yeah. you know almost the only thing that maybe uh doesn't make sense there would be like the curses and the minus minus effects um i can understand why they put it there because it, they needed to give you a good enabler for finish off effects but yeah, there, I agree. You know, direct damage was kind of already home in strength, and it was also kind of home in intelligence. And, you know, they so they needed something that was a little bit unique. Um, so, you know, it, they put it there. I guess you could almost in many ways say uh, that it's like home of like crippling things, like maybe it's poison arrows or something. I would have liked thematically, just, you know, thinking out loud. I would have liked to have seen some traps that maybe gave minus minus counters like that idea of like you stepped into a tiger pit and that's why you're crippled or wounded and now that's why I'm finishing you off something like right. that um, no I totally agree I think as far as descriptors go agility fits green and mechanics within perfectly and uh, it does feel like a very cohesive color I mean it, it does uh, some things better than anything else, right? I feel like it has, well, it certainly has la the best last gasp effects. It has the, uh, it, you know, it, I honestly, Leaf Lurker might be the most unconditional removal card in the game, right? Because the ability to just destroy any damaged creature gets around things like Iron Atronach, gets around things like uh, Ward. I mean, it, it, you have to you have damage the creature or minus one, minus one it, but it has some of the most powerful removal in the game, but it's conditional, although also able to destroy things nothing else can. You've got some of the best late game creatures in the game. I mean, you're behind Endurance and you're behind um, Willpower, but you have Tazcad, you have Eclipse Baroness, which are incredibly powerful cards. Uh, but you have what you have is just a lot of really good mid-range stuff, right? You know, we were talking about how Strength was the support color uh, for a while, but I, I remember in closed beta, people were talking about uh, agility being the support color, right? Because you would run agility to fuel the other cards that you wanted to run. Like Archer was was being played on the strength of uh, Triumphant Yarl and Earthbone Spinner and uh, stuff like that. And then the, you're filling your, your list out with green stuff. Um, Green's access to Drain, I think, gives it some interesting depth, gives it uh, uh, more mid-range options. I think that of all the colors, it is most solidly placed in the middle, although you can go early and you can go late with the color. I think that's also one of the cool things about it, is that's almost its hidden attribute identity, in that it's agile in terms of like physical agility, but it's also agile in adaptability. It's yeah. got... Uh, it's almost got that identity of being the jack of all trades. You know, it's got creatures with charge and creatures with drain and creatures with lethal. And 
Uh, even Tazcat has breakthrough, right? Um, it's got last gasp abilities. It's got mm -hmm. creatures that will generate long-term value and so on and so forth. Like with the exception of Ward, like it kind of has at least something in its toolbox to give you a little bit of everything, uh, which I also think is kind of neat. I agree. No, I mean, it, it has its weaknesses, though, right? I mean, like, agility has a really tough time coming back from being behind on board because even though you can get two-for-ones with things like Shearpoint, Dragon, and Leaf Lurker, you're really hard-pressed to remove more than one opposing thing a turn unless you already have a board presence. Um, anytime you're going to build any kind of control deck with green in it, you're looking at using the removal suite in the additional color. Yeah, no, that's that's 100% fair. Um, it's got some other weaknesses in that it, it'll oftentimes sacrifice uh, stats for its utility. So you look at cards like Dune Smuggler that gives you a great utility effect, yeah. but you know is weak in its stats compared to other drops. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously Thieves Guild Recruit is there really for the cycle, but again, weak in stats when compared to other drops. Yeah. Um, Fighters Guild Recruit again, strength is in the keywords, not in the stats. Yeah, um, you know, kind of so on and so forth. So, um, I you know I think when um, Battle Reef of Dust came out, somebody added up how many keywords are in each color, and I believe at the time green had more keywords than any other color. I'm yeah. not sure if that's still true, but I mean that sounds right. But it's funny you mentioned Battle Reef because uh, if you don't mind, I would like to potentially talk about stuff that in my opinion, doesn't fit colors or attributes. Of course, of course. Um, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier when we were talking about strength and how I said, like, Fell the Mighty fits the overall identity, but thematically felt weird to me because I don't think of the David and Goliath, like, mm -hmm. strength is home of the Goliath in my mind. Um, yeah. Intelligence, uh, one of its identities mechanically is random attributes. Um, yeah. You know, we have Royal Sage, we have cards like Battle Reeve of Dusk that reward it. We had, obviously, Echo of Akatosh, um, the Prophecy Action. That, yeah, like, I, can't, I was trying to remember the name of that card, and I can't. Um, blah, blah, blah of Wisdom. <laughs> or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Plus, Wisdom? Maybe, I don't know. Trash of Wisdom. That's what I'm going to go with. It's uh, a good name. The but like even in even a step further beyond even just like random keywords, it's also home to like Talvani Arcanist that gives you random action and you've got mm -hmm. like moment of clarity. Yeah, you get to choose, but like that's also random. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that the attribute of intelligence, right, which you would think would be about like research and facts calculation. and calculation, is the thing where you're just like. I don't know, cut it up into confetti, throw it in the air, and let's see what happens when it lands, right? Like, Not more a spymaster. I would have almost thought like agility would be home of those, not that I want that, right? But I would have felt agility would have been home to more of the randomization because you could have said like that was its adaptability and that intelligence would have been more precise than what it is. Like even College of Winterhold, right? It's literally a university gives you a random effect um yeah. so it's that's just one of those things that has always felt weird to me that that resides in intelligence i agree that is a weird feeling i mean 
intelligence is toast to, to i mean there are a few like clear things that intelligence does right like we touched on the, the direct damage uh the damage to the whole board the mass removal in the form of damage it does that really well it has the most cards that are interested in you playing actions at least the most noteworthy ones in crystal tower crafter uh Lelandral hex mage um and it has cards that give you actions. Oh, it also has uh, the Atronach Academy or whatever that card is that we always put in our creatureless decks and never trade. Oh, uh, you're talking about the Mage's Guild Retreat. Right, right. Um, it, it, it plays with actions. It does direct damage. Um, but then it gets sort of strange, right? Because it has things, it has a whole smattering of things, right? It has an items theme, right? It has a copy of theme where you're copying your own creatures or killing them and then summoning them again. It has last cast abilities. It has the random stuff, a whole lot of random stuff. And it, it I mean, I would argue that Supreme Antromancer is still a really powerful card, but for a long time it had one of the most powerful stat per cost cards in the game in Supreme Antromancer. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the last gasp part too, because it is home to some decent last gasp effects. And some of those are a little weird to me as well um so one of the other things that intelligence is home to that again i'm just thinking about my like preconceived high fantasy bias but intelligence yeah. is also home to item interactions right right and so like again when i think of intelligence i'm not immediately thinking like the guy who carries the most swords you know what I mean? Like, if you were to say, yeah. like, hey, we're going to do free word association, right? And I say, intelligence. How many times am I going to say the word intelligence before you ever say the word, like, sword or equipment right. or... No, I agree. Um, and again, I know, I know that, like, that identity had to, you know, reside somewhere. And I get yeah. that, like, Battle Mage is a class and I understand the design behind it, but it just... Intelligence is like the weirdest one for me in terms of like what I would have envisioned mentally and then what actually happened. I totally agree. Um, like, I feel like I would know an intelligence card if I saw it because even though it has such a strange smattering of effects that are home to it, like home in it, um, they've done a good job of making sure that it's clear that these are things that intelligence does. But, uh, as a whole, it's not like like congruent with itself that much. It does so many different things, and I think that's why, like you see, I mean, lightning bolt's a big reason too. But I think that's part of the reason you see so many decks dipping into intelligence is because it does a good job of accentuating all sorts of other strategies. You know, not like where green has just a whole bunch of solid cards that you can play with that do a little bit of everything. Like intelligence has these extreme cards that do certain things very specifically that you want to compare with each different attribute. Um, because there are, there are cards in intelligence you think that's a battle mage card. There are cards in intelligence you think that's a sorcerer card. You know what I mean? It, it has a lot of stuff like that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think if you were going to make monocolored decks, I think your mono blue deck would be the worst. You know, I'm not sure that it would be the worst. Um, I think that it would be the worst at surviving the mid game. Um, it's interesting because I think that intelligence has some of the strongest early game and some of the strongest finishers. And that, to me, that's actually why I feel like it's always in so many decks is because of that second part, right? There, there is not a better attribute in the game 
at closing games out. Like when you think of Supreme Atromancer, uh, especially in the, like the pre-nerf version, um, it was a game ender. But then you've got things like Uncano and Lightning Bolt. So it's got all of this reach. And then it's got like, uh, in terms of early game, you've got like Ward Crafters and Dagger Falls and Fire Bolts and uh, Harpies. And so it's really the mid-range that is weak. That's why Thief of Dreams was such a big deal when it was printed because um, there were no five drops people were really pay, you know, playing in Intelligence um, with the exception of the people that were kind of cramming in Royal Sage. Even four drops were kind of few and far between. Like you had Lightning Bolt and then whatever your other attribute was. Um, the right. middle of Intelligence is kind of, in my opinion, it's a weak point. It's great at getting started and it's great at closing out and it needs a color to be paired to like deal with the middle so i mean I, looking at it like objectively in a vacuum i totally agree with you but my own personal experience has just been that like i mean i'm a guy who who's spends more than enough more than time than he should playing monocolor text <laughs> I've, I've always had the least success with mono blue i mean I've uh, you know I've hit legend with mono purple and I've hit legend with mono red. <laughs> I I can't even I've gone on like seven game win streaks with mono yellow, and there are decks that are almost mono green already that are played at high legend that you could make mono green and probably do pretty well with. I've never had anything approaching that success with mono blue. Peter Max played a mono blue deck for a while that he was pretty successful with. Um, yeah. It just. So, like, when you do start thinking about, like, the mid-game weaknesses of intelligence, there are a couple of different ways that you can attack it, and he was leaning very, very heavily on uh, Baron of... See, this is a problem with not ever hearing the card. I don't know if it's tear or tear. I have the exact same problem. I, 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 I hate the balls up. <laughs> I think... I feel like it's probably supposed to be tear, because I, 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 yeah. he, he reminds me of the Baron of Tears when he works, because when he works, he's pretty pretty decent you know um but yeah like i think that the reason it just doesn't work as a mono color like compared to the other ones is because it is so weak in the mid game and so like if you don't control that early game enough to stall for the late game like you will probably lose when you're paired up against like other mono color decks but um i think i think that it's got enough there like i said peter max was playing it for a bit and when i when I say monocolor, I mean, like, he was straight, like, I queued into him a few times, and it was just straight blue. Like, he wasn't even, uh, you know, packing, like, Sentinel's Battle Mace or anything goofy like that. Like, he was straight mono blue. Right. Um, Cunning That's Ally cool. helps a lot with that matchup as well, though. So Yeah. Yeah, Cunning Ally is an incredibly powerful card. Um, yeah, it's an interesting color. I... So, you know, in Magic, right, there was a time when blue was the strongest color for a long time. And over the years, they took things away from blue. They started giving them to other colors to spread the, the mechanics of the game more equally throughout all the different places. Um, is there anything that's in blue? You, know, you talked about how some things in blue feel a little weird or a lot of place. Is there anything in blue that you would move somewhere else? I mean, there are the kinds of things that I would like to see happen for intelligence would require almost like such a systematic rework that I don't think they would be possible at this point because we're already like where we're ingrained. But if we were talking like a long term shift, I would like to see like the randomized keywords probably moved out. 
I would like to see a higher emphasis on low stack creatures that interact with card draw or actions. Like when I think of intelligence, again, but this is my, my preconceived high fantasy bias, but when I think of intelligence, I think of like your wizards, right? Powerful effects, small bodies. Um, and so powerful effects could be, you know, when I think of gaining knowledge, I think of gaining resources, you know, drawing cards, um, or I think of actions, um, you know, I think of, I would prefer it like when they were alive. Like it also feels weird that last gasp is so prevalent in intelligence because to me, like it's the opposite, right? Like they're, they're trying to gain power for the now, like they're being greedy with their choices. I would rather them see maybe even less stats, but just have it be the unsummon effect, right? Like if Telvanni Arcanist was like a 2-2 two -two or a 1-2, but changed the last gasp to a summon, um, I think that would feel like likely more at home. Um, again, for my own like personal, just how I would envision intelligence. I liked the summoner monthly card. I would like to see more summon effects, right? Again, small bodies, but if you do want to have like statistics exist, it should be on not like the the wizards if you will but on the things that they summon right so i do like that it's the home of the daedra i think that makes sense in many ways but yeah i think that and i don't know where you would shift the other stuff too but it just felt it always felt weird to me that intelligence was not the color of you know sacrificing stats for you know knowledge and power through the form of like actions or card draw yeah i can see that you know, I'd love to see a blue creature, an intelligence creature that uh, that grew every time a player drew a card. Yeah, I could see that entirely, right? That's that's again that whole like thirst for for power through knowledge and just yeah. the different ways that you like try to represent knowledge. Um, I'd like to see something like that. Uh, that's that's an interesting card because of the rune mechanic, right? It's yeah. not even like. It's not even like a guaranteed, like, by the time it rolls back to you, it'll be, like, plus two, plus two. Like, you can mm -hmm. set crazy things up where, um, you know, you're attacking, breaking runes, it gets bigger. You, you could also play that 6-3 guy where both players draw two cards yeah. to trigger it. Um, I agree. I've always thought that 6-3 guy, I mean, I think it's one of the worst cards in the game. But I've always thought that that card made more sense in red. See, that's interesting. Um, I like that that's in blue because to me that's... It's a reckless search for power. Mm. I would be okay... Like, I think of Desperate Conjuring, right? Like, Desperate Conjuring, though I don't like that it's random because, again, I feel I think that that feels weird and, like, a, a calculated uh, attribute. I'm okay yeah. with it being in blue because blue could be home of the calculation but also, like, just that, like, desperate search for, like, power right like at, at any cost it's the you know taking five hour energy drinks so that i can stay up and read more in the library sort of thing um and so as a guy who started grad school yesterday i'm already feeling that. yeah right so i you know i'm okay with that there in intelligence um i don't i don't think that it would be strength because strength to me is again that color of denial and saying like no you can't do that so giving your opponent a benefit I don't think makes sense to me there um if it was going to be in any other attribute I would honestly put it in willpower 
but I think it would be too strong in willpower, which is why I think it resides in intelligence. And the reason I say willpower is because willpower is home of, like, imperial growth, right? Willpower and, is also home to uh, effects that are equal to both players. Although I think that, you know, if you want to sh shift into willpower, I think willpower is also the color that is their weakness is they don't draw cards. Right. So I think oh. that that's where they, they fight each other, right? Uh, well, they didn't used to draw cards. But now, right. now they're home to some of the more powerful draw effects in the game. Like, when you go class cards, obviously, Crusader got a big yeah. bump. But even right. even when you consider the non-class cards... Um, yeah. You used to have just East, East, East March Crusader. Yeah, you, you said that, but... Uh, yeah, you, well, as I say, you have the, the Thief... That's pseudo card draw. I, I don't think that feels right in willpower, for the record. To me, that's definitely I an agility totally card. I totally agree. I'd love to see that in agility. Um, but even beyond that, like Priest of the Eight is probably the most playable of those. Like if you have two creatures of the attribute, draw a card. Right. So that gave them access to some pretty easy card draw. Um, they also right. got the Bandit Ringleader recently, yep. who's home to. I've had some insane hand refills when you pair that thing and master of thieves um, I totally agree. so yeah, it, 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 historically i guess coming from the core set you, you could rely on a deck that was running a lot of will, uh, willpower cards to not draw a lot of cards and that's just not the case anymore i guess yeah no it's not the case anymore but yeah so like when i think of color identity for willpower the, i mean the obvious one is like mini armies right like huh. tokens are certainly a thing um yep. but i think that that fits because it's also kind of the unofficial home of imperials and i kind of right. like that they're exerting their will on you through sheer numbers um mm -hmm. and then it's also home to hard removal again exerting their will in, in many ways um it's got, it's got the best life game yeah uh i think that's fair right it's got a lot of drain a lot of life gain stuff um, cares about support cards cares about support cards cares about guards um, not necessarily to the extent that endurance does but it's like you know certainly prevalent there has a subset of cards that care about actions you know the high elf cards that overlap with the mage class um, it's definitely the second most concerned about you playing actions yeah no 100% um, yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting attribute because I feel like it's the most defined in terms of like I know exactly what I'm expecting out of it. Um, there, there's very few cards that exist in willpower that I say like you know that doesn't really make sense to me that that's in willpower as opposed to the other attributes. You know we've kind of along the way been talking about cards that I don't think fit and right. willpower with the exception of the shadow foot um yeah. it's really hard for me to like peg down a card that i would say like that that doesn't really fit maybe immolating blast right that one yeah. feels i mean it's hard yeah, removal it's... but it's also like you know not targeted hard removal and that's like their only you know non-dawn's wrath x AO, uh, aoe removal well is i guess it, there's emulating... storm but is emulating blast the only random effect in willpower uh no I'm I feel like there's one more um well pseudo random effects right so there's like 
right, Imperial right. Might, you can't control which side the token goes into. Right. Um, hmm. Random effects I mean, that are in willpower, huh? Willpower feels, I, I know this doesn't, like, isn't a mechanic, but willpower feels like a really straightforward uh, color. You know, I feel like... Uh, Heffinger Marauder. Oh, yeah, Heffinger Marauder. That card makes more sense to me as a strength card. Uh, I would have said that card actually feels like an intelligence card. Not not what I want for intelligence, but intelligence as right. it exists, because it deals with items and it deals with randomness. As a battle mage card, I can see it fitting perfectly. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, chat um, also mentions Artam Savant is random, and Blackmail is random. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I, I guess... You just don't think... I don't think of it as a card with a lot of random effects because none of the random effect cards are played. Right. Um, that's interesting. Um, so, like, with willpower, one of the things that I like is that it feels so... Like, the word willpower and the imperial race from the Elder Scrolls series makes so much sense in the way that they're expressed on the cards, and you highlighted this. Like, just the imperial grunts, the, the military feel of it, it, it all feels really really good and i think they did a really great job with that and i think the art has a lot to do with making sure it makes sense too i mean there are some outliers like like Halfinger marauder but i think you're right that willpower is very well defined yeah i mean there are certainly other <laughs> there are certainly other attributes that i immediately think of that just again i look at them and i say like that card feels like it belongs somewhere else like yeah. Some, in many ways, I wonder if some of those cards exist where they do because of balance reasons. You know, again, you, I'm sure. Halfinger sure. Marauder, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? That definitely would be very, very good in like an item battle mage deck. Um, yeah. And yet, here it is kind of feeling out of place in willpower. So, is that for balance reasons? I think the same thing about like Young Mammoth. When I see Young Mammoth, you know, the stats, one of the hallmarks of endurance is just that it favors stats over, like, you know, keywords. Um, yeah. But, one, that always felt kind of out of place to me. I think they should have high health creatures, but endurance just kind of has high stats in general. But also, yeah. breakthrough, like, everything about the Young Mammoth feels like a strength card to me. Like, it's a big, burly, strong creature that even if you try to block it, it's going to run you over. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it just from a flavor standpoint feels like strength but i have to imagine exists in endurance because of balance reasons right yeah i, I would agree with that um i think you can't talk about willpower though without mentioning the manticora marak package right like the 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 big non-dragon bosses of the end game yeah the the stuff of nightmares from Corset. You know, when Corset was right. all we had, uh, there was like this internal clock for every game where you were trying to, like, you had to have the game either like locked down or within reach by turn nine. Because mm -hmm. if your opponent had like uh, nine in the ring, um, you were either running into Manticora or you were running into pre nerf Nakreen. Uh, but regardless yeah. of what you were running into, it was not going to be good for you at that point. Um, right. Yeah, so 
they were kind of, you know, the the big bosses of the corset. Uh, you know, I think... It, 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 so, a year ago, token sex were popular. Divine Favor got nerfed. Or Divine Fervor, sorry. And then uh, when tokens re- came back, you know, I think people had so, for so long associated willpower as the control color with spell sword and with mage that uh you know it took like nine months off of being a token aggressive deck uh color that i wonder how many people who have started playing in the last like three months like maybe since heroes of skyrim dropped uh look at it as an aggressive color because like in my mind it's still a really reactive defensive color um see i i cut my teeth on tokens with this game because it was the easy budget build and yeah. I've always kind of viewed it as like the lurking aggressive color. Um, mm. I think it's home to some of the best one drops in the game, and that's only been exasperated even further with the stuff printed since the core set. Not to say that there aren't other good one drops, but just like collectively, it has more one drops that, that you would want to play than probably any other attribute. And I'm very happy to hear you say the words aggressive tokens because I've seen a lot of people say tokens and then they'll say like aggro decks and they don't associate the fact that tokens are an aggro deck like i hate to break it to you but when you run that many one drops and you are like buffing your team on turn three with resolute ally and swinging in to like get people down to 15 or 16 like that's an aggro deck gang tokens are an aggro deck um you're not outvaluing somebody like a i mean not to say that you can't shift your play style when the time is right and do that but like you're not playing tokens as a mid-range deck right like you're not playing the best creature on curve every turn and fighting for control of the board you're trying to flood the board and kill somebody before they can t- respond right so um, but yeah like you know i'm i'm an old school person that cut my teeth on tokens i loved divine fervor when it cost four um, I felt like even back then it was balanced at four, but I do understand why they nerfed it because of some u- ubiquity in the lower ranks. Um, but yeah, new players probably look at it and think of it as aggressive. I'm sure they certainly look at strength and think aggression because of the proliferation of charge since then. Right. Um, that makes sense. So, you know, we kind of highlight, we've touched each of the colors and sort of the historical. Uh, dimensions to their mechanics. I wonder now if, if maybe you had uh, a mechanic or a feature that's not in the game yet that uh, you think would fit perfectly into a color or maybe two mechanics or three mechanics and where you would put those and why. Uh, sure. Uh, the low-hanging fruit slash shameless self-promotion. Um, I did an episode of The Forge, uh, one of my very first episodes. I think it was like episode two or three actually where I had talked about uh, new abilities I wanted to see added. And one of the Mm -hmm. ones that I had mentioned was this idea of a mechanic that I called Ambush. And Ambush was uh, an effect that would trigger whenever a creature left cover. So you would play a creature, you know, typically like in the shadow lane, and then when your turn rolled around, um, if it, you know, at the start of your turn, its ability would trigger because it was leaving cover. Or if said creature had like charge and it left cover that way, uh, then it would trigger. Um, obviously, now uh, new cards like Underworld Vigilante have been printed. Um, that would also, in my mind, trigger it as well. But it was this idea that 
it rewarded you for like hiding in the shadows, right? So the cards that I was showcasing were agility and uh, well, I think I had uh, agility and endurance in there, but in my mind it would be like a focal point of agility. Um, mm. And the idea is that like it would either be stuff that triggered an effect or maybe it was just like a buff. Um, but I, I like that it would create a micro decision in that like, okay, I might need to really fight for this field lane but I'm going to sacrifice some power because I couldn't play this in the shadow lane and take advantage of the ambush. Or, like, like, hey, the board is empty. Normally you play for the field lane here to fight for it, but again, like, this has a really important effect. I'm going to throw this in the shadow lane anyway. Also, it synergizes and further amplifies something that already exists in agility in the movement effects. So, like, maybe it's not something that you, you know want uh right away but like through shifting it back and forth you could re-trigger the ambush um or you could also have things like the new uh falmer cards sorry i was drawing a blank right so like there's that yeah. new falmer that'll give something cover um that would be a great way to like re-trigger ambush um okay. i think that it would just highlight and further the theme of agility, that idea of like hiding in the shadows. Um, it, it would give you something that would let you uh, create micro decisions and you know synergize with other existing cards. I really think that would be a cool ability to see added. I like it. So uh, I, I have one that I've been thinking about. Um, I would like to see in intelligence cards that you can play from the top of your deck. Overcosted because they're functional card advantage, but I would like to see, you know, like a cheaper lightning, like like a four damage, four four cost card that does two damage to something, say, that you play from the top of your deck. And I'd like to see that in, in intelligence. I'd be curious about like how you would want that implemented. Like, um, so it's in it's in eternal, <laughs> and uh, it's just when it's on top of your deck, you can see the top card of your deck. Your opponent can't. Gotcha. And you, and you can just play it. Alright. I think that'd be fun. That could be fun. Um, another one that I'd like to see is... Uh, and I think I've talked about this on uh, this cast in the past. Um, cards that you can play direct from the discard pile. I think those would be Home and Endurance. I think yeah, I they would be understated. Um, you know, like... Even in my mind, like a 3-cost 1-1 or a 4-cost 1-1... But, like, when it's dead and it's in your discard pile, you can go in there and highlight it and shove it back out into play. Um, I agree. I think that that would be, uh, you know, interesting and create some some fun mechanics, potentially. Um, I agree. Um, I'd like to see more uh, banish effects, like, um, like uh, removing cards from your opponent's deck. I'd like to see more of those in... Uh, like, like the Black Dragon. I'd like to see more cards like that in um, in Willpower. In Willpower, um, huh? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, it is kind of a strange pick. My initial thought was Strength, um, but I, I'd like to see Strength remove cards from the discard pile. Um, but I'd like to see Willpower remove more cards from the opponent's deck. Um, you know, through like the, uh, like the, the Moment of Clarity, uh, menu that pops up with three cards. I'd like to see that kind of thing available in Willpower. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I'd like to see more 
transform effects also reside in endurance, uh, preferably even like more useful ones. Um, you know, with the printing of Grizzly Gourmet, willpower is almost slowly jumping in on their territory, but, uh, you know, a lot of the talk has been about, like, counterplay to Soul Tear and how do you address it and things like that, and being able to transform creatures is obviously one of the ways you can do it. There's cards like Arrest where you can also steal it, right? Yeah. Um, but I would just like to see more transform effects. Um, preferably like playable ones turn something into a one one um yeah. how, do you, how do you feel about going the other way like a like a two magic a card that transforms the creature into a four three i mean i would be okay with stuff like that as well um i think that that has uh some some unique applications i'd like to see even uh like a smaller version of waves of the fallen right like yeah. Just something that, like, if played on my opponent makes it a 2-2, if played on my card is a 5-5, five, five, but it doesn't cost 8, and it's just one creature, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that costs 2 or 3. Yeah. Um, so I, like I, could, I could see something like that. There's, I mean, there's so many things that, like, I want to see added to the game, but, mm -hmm. like, for complexity reasons... Because one of the beauties about this game is that it's, it's kind of... It's kind of simple, but not, right? Like, it doesn't go over the top, which is why the pace of the games feels so good. Like, games don't feel overly long unless they're, like, some really epic games. Um, yeah. I think we've already seen complexity creep. I mean, you look yeah. at Madhouse, Dark Brotherhood, and Skyrim, and they're all adding complexity at a pretty, pretty rapid pace, I would actually argue. I'd like to see more stuff done with supports. I've talked about that uh, in the past. Yeah. On uh, the forge, we, we saw a little bit of it. Like I, I'm pretty sure one of the things I had mentioned in one of my episodes of the forge was the idea of like creatures that would add use charges to your supports, and then of course we ended up with cauldron keeper. Um, mm -hmm. But I liked the idea of like. Like a support that is a negative. So like one of the things that I had put in an episode of The Forge was a support that plays to your opponent's side of the board. And then maybe at the start of their turn they take a damage or they take two damage. And then because it's now on their side they get to use the activation. And the activation is like, um, you know, sacrifice a creature to destroy the support or something, right? So it's like you can sit there and take the damage or you got to give up a creature or two or you know what I mean? Like I'd like to see stuff like that. That you yeah. you donate off, if you will. I can definitely see that. That'd be cool. Um, by the way, I want to apologize again about my internet quality tonight. I've got it. I've got everything as set as uh, well as I can at this point. And yeah. I've got Twitch closed, which is why I'm not responding to anybody. Yeah, I know. Um, disclaimer, right? If you've made it this far and the robot voice hasn't completely turned you off. Uh, this yeah. is why Justin doesn't stream, guys. And one of the questions yeah. that he frequently gets is like, hey, man, are you ever going to stream to Twitch? Have you ever thought right. about it? Uh, and the truth is he just doesn't just have... Not possible. Yeah, he just doesn't have, like, stable enough internet to do it. So, yeah. uh, you know, we do this, and we're certainly blessed by his presence. And I always tell no, him no. He's, he's welcome here, but 
this is why, you know. Yeah, my apologies. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm ruining the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but... Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a shit show and it's my fault. <laughs> you, you are the Somerset Orrery of this cast. I am, yeah. I need, <laughs> I, I need to get shuffled back into my deck. Oh... So that's um, another, speaking of Orrery and things I've talked about on the Forge and previously on this podcast, I would love to see top of deck manipulation, right? The scry or brainstorm effects. Yeah. I agree. When you put those in intelligence, right? Um, Either intelligence or potentially neutral, right? Like okay. my original proposed rework for Somerset Orrery was leave it costing six or even bump it up in cost potentially because it would be a very powerful effect, but change its three uses to draw a card and then choose a card from your hand to put back on your, on top of your deck. So it's yeah. like extending your hand size by one, uh, but also giving you the opportunity to either put prophecies on the top of your deck or put junk cards on the top of your deck and then use some sort of shuffle mechanic to send it away or bluff putting a prophecy on the top of your deck like there's a lot of power in that style uh, of mechanic but i right. do think that it would be something that would be welcome i agree so i think we we, we covered the uh the color identity thing pretty well and uh i'll be honest with you i'm, I'm feeling really guilty about the sound quality that, we, that i've given you today um I think maybe we should uh, we should wrap it up because I'm just not performing tonight. Uh, well, we got one last thing to cover though, and What's it's gonna that? fit right in at home. Um, right. The the one thing that we didn't cover was neutral, and in That's neutral true. is also Dwemer. So That's maybe true. maybe this wasn't uh, bad audio quality at all, but this was the debut of Justin's first ever Dwemer cosplay with a robot voice. <laughs> I'm next level in this shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. You know, neutral, I like that neutral has a tribe, right? Like because of the Dwemer, like you're able to do something with, besides just create cards to support the shore up the weaknesses in colors or, or create wacky build around support cards, which is what the color does besides the, uh, Besides Dwemer. But Dwemer are interesting, you know. I mean, they don't have any solid mechanical identity of their own, besides the fact that they are mechanical you know, identities. Because, uh, you know, they shackle, they buff, they draw cards, they gain life. They do a little bit of everything. Um, and alongside Crushing Blow, you know, deal direct damage. But uh, neutral is, uh, you know, it's where you put cards that fill draft picks, that um, put a safety valve on degenerate strategies in the meta and uh, put cards that are going to inspire people to build decks of all different colors. Well, I mean, I would buy that, but then where do, like, Odaving and Parthenax fit? Well, in a sense, like, you, you could look at it, like, from the lore perspective, right? Like, Odaving is too big for one color. Like, he's this huge dragon. But you, I think that, like, it, it's a good business decision, I think, to make Odaving a neutral card. <laughs> because playing Odaving is cool. He's a 10-10 dragon that deals 4 damage to everything on the board that your opponent controls. That's a huge flashy effect. And 
you know, when if you have people who love to play dragons, they're going to want to try as many different dragon decks as they can. Odovin gives them the opportunity to do that because he's the biggest and best, although he's got competition now. And he can go in 10 different colors, 10 different color combinations. Even more once you count mono colors and... Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's the right business decision. Um, I always say that Odovin is potentially the single most iconic card in the game. He was the original, like, most expensive big bad from the core set. He was the, you know, original yeah. I'm the biggest dragon. He has mm -hmm. very, very uh, quality voice lines for, like, entering play and swinging. Yeah. Um, big flashy effect. Um, yeah. Looks great in it's premium. You know, like, he checks all of the boxes. <laughs> It's worth remembering, though, that uh, until until our first expansion, the poster child and uh, all the marketing material was Indoral Archmage. <laughs> yeah, he he, but he's got he's just got cool art. Like as far as I'm concerned, yeah. him and uh, Blood Magic Lord would have been uh, like great choices just from an art standpoint. But then when you look at the two, it's like, well, you know. Do we put the demon vampire looking thing on everything? Because that might scare potential, you know, players off. Like, I remember the old Magic the Gathering controversy when they had to remove the pentagram from Unholy Strength, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think they, they've learned from the lessons of the past. That makes um, sense. And they went with the Archmage there. Totally off, well, not off that topic, but sort of as a tangent. <clears throat> it's funny how much less concerned... Uh, we all are about that sort of thing versus like when we were kids. You know what I mean? I mean, I wasn't like, concerned I'm, as a kid, but... No, I, I wasn't. But I mean, like, I knew... I, growing, growing up in Kansas, I knew tons of families who wouldn't let their kids listen to rock music because of the, the Satan, you know, messages in the music. Well, I mean, it's twofold. One, uh, my father was going to buy me magic cards for one of my birthdays and then didn't. Because he was like, I went to this shop to pick up what you asked for, and there were people playing some Satan game there. Like, nice. You know, so, I mean, that was definitely a thing even in my childhood. But also, I, I would dare say uh, that that thing is still a, a thing that exists in our culture. That it's just not something that we see anymore as adults because we have purposefully segregated ourselves from those communities um that makes sense that you because you you have a lot more control over your uh circle of influence as an adult than you do as a child but like i still even remember reading articles about like you know churches and mosques and other religious places like freaking out because people were playing pokemon go on their grounds and I remember reading like one article where this guy was like, some guy's looking for ghosts in my pews. And like, that's, that's like, you know, Satan. And, um, so Pikachu's I mean, Pikachu's in league with the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not Pikachu, but definitely Gengar. Have you seen that guy? I so. actually, I, so because Sanders a great artist, like I never show any of my own art, but I actually draw on stuff myself. And for Halloween one year, I drew Sandra a big Gengar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that's still there. I just think that we, you know, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Oh, 
so a million million mom march against elder scrolls legends so it wasn't on the uh, planned topics but it did pop up in my stream and it's something that we've talked about in the past on this podcast right um did you happen to see that the uh smite card game i don't know if you're aware of this but smite the moba also has a like tactical card game coming out um, okay. I believe it's still in beta and accessible on Steam right now, but they okay. announced a like $15,000 prize pool with like big money weekly tournaments coming up for a game that's wow. still got a relatively small player base and is obviously still in beta, um, which is again like pushing those competitive scene buttons. So I would yeah. I would be curious to. You know, having just heard this, it sounds like for the first time, hear what, what you think about that. Um, man, it's hard not to get a little, like, suspicious that it's never going to happen after this long. I believe that it will, uh, but I feel like sooner rather than later is a good idea at this point. I mean, there are people who I, you know, other members of the Legends community who I follow on Twitter, who I have never seem to be disparaging vocally in public about things who are beginning to start to join the growing ranks of people complaining about the fact that there is no competitive scene for this game. It's a little frustrating. I mean, um, I wouldn't be competing in it to begin with, but like, I just want it to be there so that we have a bigger community and we have that we have conversation. We can talk about, Hey, who won that last tournament? Because I'm, I mean, not to poke fun at a guy when he's down, but like, I, I'm really tired of, that cassette and guy cheating and winning tournaments. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so there is that aspect, but also, you know, I tweeted it out today. It's no secret. You know, I work a ton of jobs. I got a family. Like I yeah. know deep down as much as I like to daydream, right? Like I know I'm never going pro in anything, but yeah. like I'm a competitive person at heart. I like to win yeah. games. You know, I would yeah. definitely say that I do a lot of different things, but at my core, I'm probably a spike. And whenever I see, like, any card game say, like, oh, hey, uh, you know, here's this, like, competitive scene thing, here's this money tournament, you know, in the back of my head, I go, man, I should really pick that up. Because, yeah. like, I have this weird, like, mental association with, like, if they're putting money behind it, um, it must be at least successful enough to support said money. And if it's successful, then people like it. And if they like it, it's for a reason. And like, there's all these cascading thoughts that like occur all just because they have a competitive scene, right? Even yeah, if I, I know I'm like never going to do it, like it just does something to me mentally. And I know I'm not alone in that. And so, um, you know, at, you know, at a minimum, I think that having something would do that. I do also think, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm same with you. I follow a fair number of people in the community and I've been noticing like a slightly more disparaging yeah. tone about uh, competitive scene stuff. I think that maybe the biggest offender of like slaps in the face, if you will, is not just that, like other games are doing it and this one isn't because Bethesda's always done thing on Bethesda's time. Like this shouldn't be yeah. a surprise to anybody if you follow them for anything they're gonna do what they do when they do it and not a minute sooner right they are the gandalf of of games the wizard doesn't arrive early or late he arrives exactly when he intends to but well, i think just the fact that they haven't just like 
released in Elder Scrolls 6 and printed money, basically, is testimony to the fact that they do things the way they want to do them. Yeah, but I will say this, though. the Perhaps the biggest, like, again, like, it's probably harsh to, to word it this way, but perhaps the biggest slap in the face is that they've got... Is that a cat? Yeah, that's a cat. I'm really sorry. <laughs> this is... This is <laughs> oh, sorry, that Khajiit just yeah. derailed me. I'm oh, sorry. man. No, 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 don't apologize. I just made my night. RoboCat is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so the thing that's perhaps the biggest slap in the face, now that we've teased this out even longer with the cat thing, is mm -hmm. the Quake Championship Series. Like, their, okay. their new Quake only recently, like, became available to be played. Like, I remember when I was still, just not even that long ago, getting, like, invites to potentially, like, the, the beta for Quake, right? Um, like, it's, their new version of Quake Champions is a very relatively new game, and then they already had, like, a big money, like, tournament at QuakeCon, and they've already announced, like, a $75,000 prize pool, I think it is, um, for DreamHack, right? So, like, I get it, like, Quake is, like, entrenched in the Bethesda history and franchise, and it's recognizable and whatever, but, like, that came right out of the gate, and they were supporting the competitive scene for it. So, like, yeah. here's Legends, people have been asking for it, it's been around for a while, we keep saying, please give us marketing, please give us a competitive scene, please give us marketing, please give us a competitive scene... And they're like, well, we're not really going to do that. But by the way, did you know you can sign up for this awesome DreamHack event and potentially, you know, like, to me, I right. think that's like the, 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 I don't know, like the, the biggest downer. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. You know, I, I'd like to see it because I'm a fan of the game. I'm a fan of the community and I want to watch or, or participate in some capacity, you know, um, and I want to have that experience with other people. Because, you know, we've all come a long ways together uh, playing this game and making this content, talking about the game for over a year now. I want to see... I want to see it happen because I want to be... I want to be witness to it and I want to have people I know out there kicking ass and doing well. Uh, it's... it's It doesn't bother me that much, but, like, it's something I want, you know. Yeah. So, for me, you know, I, I've been thinking a bit about things I would like to see in a competitive scene from top to bottom. So not just like big money tournaments, if you will. Like, I think that should be a thing, right? But when I think about like the trickle-down effects and what I'd like to see, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I miss about when I played Magic competitively was that they had competitive events that were kind of geared towards all of your different types of players and then they were just weighted appropriately right you had your big money grand prix and things that would potentially earn you spots in even bigger tournaments and you could like receive you know pro points and so forth but then you could also go all the way down as low as like hey you know earn some points on your you know dci mmi or mmr or whatever just by going to friday night magic you know like low pressure um you know if you win great if you lose great um you would still it would still be reflected in like your performance but it was also like you know weighted differently and so like the crowd and the format and setting was different and so i would like to yeah. see more digital games give you that 
like wide array of choices like how do we how do we do like the friday night magic version of competitive play in legends and i think that the brawls and the you know the grand melees and things like that are like a step in the right direction but i would like to yeah. see something like that be always available you know when you look at eternal they've got like the drafts yeah. and the drafts yeah. happen like kind of asynchronously if you will so i'd like to see something like that but for constructive play where it's literally like hey i just queue up and like here you know here we go and it's again maybe that's a very very low weighted option but it gives me something that i can do day in day out to like try to be competitive as opposed to just like the ladder experience um and then maybe the ladder feeds into it and then maybe they do also do like you know sanctioned weekend tournaments where there are like brackets if you will and maybe those are weighted a little bit more um but like magic you know to its credit does does its best to give you a competitive option for all different play styles all different levels of skill all you know all different formats and there's not been a digital game that has come close to matching that like level of options i agree uh last this is my last question for the night because like i said i'm just <laughs> screwing this up tonight but did you sign up for the beta for the new Magic uh, Online client? Uh, I did not actually sign up for Arena. Um, really? Yeah. I... I thought about it, and I just... I came to the conclusion that, like, e even if it ends up being amazing, like, at this stage, I would only ever, at most, be, like, playing it casually. Um, yeah. And if I'm only going to be playing it casually, then I'm okay with waiting a little bit you know it's not something that i'm like 100 percent eager and like dying to get in on the ground floor of um come on man I, i've taken uh playing legends casually to uh <laughs> to great success <laughs> yeah well you know like i said to me it, like i know in my heart of hearts like even though i do a lot of things just for fun um mm -hmm. deep down at the end of the day i'm ultimately likely a spike and i know that i'm not gonna like dive in and try to be like super competitive there so i'm okay with waiting um, that makes sense. But yeah. Um, my last question to you, uh, again, more like on the competitive thing, in terms yeah. of uh, another thing I've been thinking about is how you shake up the ladder experience. I don't, I know that you're not a big like Gwent person, but uh, right. one of the things that their pro ladder is doing is right. this idea that you have to play uh, X number of games mm -hmm. and then those games are like all that count for that season so like you have to play 100 games with uh, i think it's like five of the factions or four of the five factions or whatever it is right um so it forces you into diversity so you might have to be you know like right now for example northern realms and that game might be like the best faction but okay. it doesn't matter before the pro ladder like season if you will is over you have to play games on each of the factions or at least a certain number of them if you will and you have to play at least 100 right so yeah. How would you feel if Legends ever had uh, some sort of mechanic like that where, like, maybe once you hit leg Legend rank, you get your Legend rating or whatever, but from from that point on, like, when you queue into the ladder, you have to play, let's say, um, you know, you can play as many games as you want, but let's say only your first 25 on uh, each of the different classes count. And then at the end of the season, you have to have played a minimum number of games so that you can't, like, shortcut it or whatever. But then it would 
uh, potentially put like a greater weight or emphasis on the games you do queue for. Because one of the things I dislike about Ladder is that it's all volume. Like after we're done with this podcast, I'm probably going to stream some more for the night. And I'm going to focus on climbing the ladder. And I'm just going to be up front. I'm going to play Token Crusader because win or lose, the games will be fast. And I can chew through volume and get me out of the dumpster ranks fast. And that's not necessarily, I think, reflective of like me choosing the best deck as it is about the best deck for the best of one volume ladder. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's a really cool idea. I mean, I haven't logged into Gwent for a couple months, but uh, that that sounds awesome to me. I mean, the, one of the things that I enjoy most about this game is, you know, I mentioned earlier, I lost to a deck running Frost Trolls that was about regenerating its own creatures and ran healing hands and stuff. Like, that was an incredible experience for me because I, it was new. And I'm sort of a, you know, I'm sort of into finding the new things in the game and, or, or at least the things that you, people aren't thinking are possible in doing those. And um, I love the idea of, of uh, encouraging or maybe even enforcing uh, deck diversity. Um, I think that, because uh, here's the thing, right? Like, it, I think that the bottom line is that being a good deck builder or being creative is like the least important skill in being successful at this game. Um, I think anything that would reward people for playing something different because you have to play a monk deck or you have to play a sorcerer deck or whatever. Um, I think that encouraging creativity and stuff like that is wonderful and would make the game more enjoyable for me at least. Uh, I don't know that and this is sort of the same faces the same sort of problem that my suggestion for regular monthly balance patches creates. Like I don't know that the guy who's not super enfranchised but wants to hit legend every season. I don't know how this would affect him. You know, like it may not be because, like, let's say you have one deck and it it's Crusader tokens. Like, you might be able to hit top fifty legend with that deck. If like you can't hit top fifty legend without having ten different decks, one for each class, like you might have a much worse time playing this game and you might quit. Well, um, I think for but, me, I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think for me the people who are really interested in finishing top 50 will be the ones who will push. And then the people who just want to hit legend would be okay with like not hitting their qualification of games, like for the rest of the way, if you will. Right. And I want to also, you know, reiterate that in my mind, if this was like tied to like the ladder experience, um, once you've hit your prerequisite games, or even if you're not interested or whatever, like you can keep queuing and playing against other legend players in my mind. And in that way, in many ways, you're like just playing spoiler at that point. Like I've already played my qualifying games, but I'm going to keep queuing because like it's important. Like that's almost the way of like defending your rank in, in my mind. Um, again, I don't know if it would work that way or what, but it, because, I mean, you have to have an avenue for letting those people continue to play. You don't want to say, like, here's this really awesome thing, but you can only do it, like, five times today. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, I just... I feel like encouraging deck diversity is good, and that would be one way to do it. And the other reason I like that model is it really puts an emphasis on the wins and not, yeah. like, how many games you can play with a win rate, you know, um, yeah. You know, if an aggressive deck has like a 60% win rate and a control deck has like a 65% win rate, you still ladder with the aggressive deck because the games are so much shorter. But the minute every game matters, now, right. now the ladder yeah. experience becomes vastly different. You know what I mean? I totally agree. 
I totally agree. I like that idea a lot. And it's honestly not one I'd ever considered. So uh, I still think Gwen's boring, but uh, <laughs> I like the idea a lot. Yeah, I mean they've got they've got some good ideas over there. I, I'm I'm with you. Like I don't know if I would call Gwent exciting. Like I don't think that would ever be a word I would use to describe it. I mean it's yeah. it's got you know some tactical thinking and it's got some things that I enjoy. But I I yeah. do think that that is a fair criticism and that I would not ever I think call it exciting. It feels like a game for spikes. Yeah, it's it's like that. Or honestly, it just feels at home. I think this is my biggest problem, and I've said it many times in the past. It's not a game that I can just like sit and grind because to me yeah, exactly, it, it exactly. feels like a board game and that's both a pro and a con, right? It feels like the yeah. kind of game that like I would break out, play for 3 or 4 hours like one night a week with my buddies and then, you know, yeah. have you know, have some fun and then like be done with it for the week. It's not like a night in night out. I'm excited to sit down and play this kind of game for me. Right. It's like you're trying to find the bloody baron's lost kid and you walk into a tavern and this guy's like <laughs> You up for a game? And I'm like, I'm up for a game. And so you play a game of Gwent and you take his dwarf card and then you go back out and you hop on Roach and go back to slaying whites and stuff. I understand completely. You don't want yeah. to do that too many times in a single night. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, playing Dominion, like if you've ever played that, or like Splendor. I'm thinking of like board games that, you know, have some similar like card elements, if you will. Stuff that I put, Spl I put Splendor in my coffee, actually. <laughs> no, Splendor. Not Splenda. I think I got a copy of it over there. It's actually a pretty fun game, but uh, yeah, it just you know, it's not. It, I mean, know what? It is a card game, right? But it just doesn't feel like yeah. a card game. I don't know how else to put it. It does feel more like a board game that's just like utilizing cards as as part of its mechanics. I think that as a game, it definitely deserves credit for being like incredibly unique, uh, and, and you know. I don't know that, that uh, I've ever played any game that's terribly like it, but I just don't really like it. Yeah, like I said, it's got a lot, of, a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff I enjoy. I and I, you know, other than just saying it's not exciting, I, I continue to not be able to put my finger on it, but I can't grind it. Like I can play it for like an hour, maybe two, but then at that yeah. point, like I'm just in my head going, "All right, like what else can I do tonight?" Right. Um, where like legends, I can just like sit and play for hours. Yeah. I mean, I could spend four hours playing Solo Arena. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. All right. So I think that uh, because I'm not, I, I've closed Twitch out, so I don't have access to the user stuff. I, I think we should probably put the kibosh on the question and answer part tonight. So oh, I mean, I can read yeah. them to you. We can do a short one. We can't have we can't we can't have fun and interactive without the interactive. Are we having fun? <laughs> um, so, question number one. I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm having I'm a blast. Having... I I yeah. kind of enjoy seeing you uh, squirm a little bit and be embarrassed because you're normally so cool and calm and collected. I know I'm super embarrassed. I'm ashamed of everything that my internet is doing right now. Um. So, question number one. Single word. Uh, yeah. My wife, Lucky1013, says, art. Because earlier she had asked about uh, when can we get some of uh, Sandy's oh, yeah. art. Okay, so I will tweet out after this is over the website where you can buy Sandra's artwork. There you have it. If you guys are not already following uh, Justin on Twitter, I highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> 
we were talking about it just before the broadcast. He has a fantastic Twitter. Um, oh yeah, it's it's the best Twitter, huge. Yeah, so the most shameless. Oh, so uh, questions, questions. Uh, not necessarily questions. Kazoo says uh, he plays to have fun, and after a day of crunching numbers and such at work, he wants to play cards and not overanalyze stuff. Um, I get that, but then I turn around and overanalyze everything anyway, because I can't turn it off. I have paralysis by analysis, so... Have you seen the, the B-movie? I I have seen the B-movie. You know, what you said just reminded me of... Uh... When he comes home from, oh, it's that cat again. Uh, when, he, when he comes home from work, and he says, uh, "Sometimes you you just keep stirring." <laughs> oh, and you wanted to end it. See, we got a B movie reference in. We got more cat. This, yeah. For uh, for the record, like, I think somewhere in the video description, I need to put like, maybe maybe I put it like super clickbaity title. Um, like, hey, like li stream. live pussy on stream or something. Damn, son. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nickname asks, uh, what to do about Scout? Uh, I mean, like, play lots of charge creatures? Or, like, as far as balance... <laughs> and I, I mean, that was the question, so... Yeah. As far as balance goes, um, I don't know. Um... The meta has evolved quite a bit. I don't think Scout is a great choice right now to play. Uh, give it like two months, and if we don't have any new content between now and then, give it two months, and um, then bring your Scout deck back once things have shifted away from it and kick the crap out of everybody. That's what you can do about Scout. Sure. Alternatively, we talked last week about some nerfs to uh, Thorn Hist Mage, which is probably the card, the next card I would hit in scout uh for me my answer would be uh play it enjoy it yeah. but play mid-range tempo scout because i'm still yeah, maintaining exactly. like above a 60 percent win rate anytime i pull yeah. that out um it is mid-range so it's it's just like any other mid-range deck you'll lose if you lose control of the board you can't fall behind uh yeah. but thankfully you get to run all of the agility package and then big meaty endurance creatures like young mammoth uh yeah. and then you just you know, you, you do it. You do the thing. Just be down. It's just, it's a, it's interesting because when people see Scout, they immediately, mm -hmm. like, they mulligan for ramp and they try to play around ramp and yeah. I catch people by surprise. Yeah, I agree. Um, Spurlo says, do you think that as Legends progresses and starts adding more card types, that it will become, uh that it'll have the risk of becoming more like Hearthstone, meaning, you know, all RNG or have more RNG elements. Um, I think that the expansions so far have <clears throat> made the game less like Hearthstone by <laughs> adding a lot of complexity. I mean, we're already doing things with the discard pile and doing uh, stuff with manipulating cards in the deck. I mean, cards that you draw, game and stuff. Like, there's all sorts of stuff that's been added to Legends since the core set that is well beyond anything Hearthstone does. Yeah, to me, my answer to that would be um, Echo of Akatosh. And I say that yeah. uh, because that was a card that was definitely considered by many to be a quote-unquote Hearthstone card. 
first of all, I think her yeah. song gets kind of a bad rap. I don't think that it's all RNG. Um, it's yeah. just definitely more RNG and bad types of RNG. Yeah. But that being said, uh, Echo Vakatosh uh, got printed, but subsequently got adjusted. And I think that that is the clearest message uh, that the devs could have sent, right? That they say, I, we're I aware that this is a, a, you know, an issue for people and we will make make choices according. I totally agree. Um, Kawaii Left Shark, who potentially is one of the best names I've ever seen, says, how good is Lockpick? <laughs> Are you making fun of me? Dude, okay, so I recorded six games with Ray Ray Barker's uh, <laughs> Monk deck, and there was the very first game I played, I probably Lockpicked there was one turn where I lockpicked five times, and I got a lockpick back every time. And that's part of the reason I didn't release that video, because I started swearing, and I was getting really pissed off. <laughs> uh, lockpick is awful. It's an awful card. <laughs> so, here's the funny thing about that. I also have horrible luck with lockpick. Um, yeah. I actually think that it might even not be a full 50-50 split. Like, I'm convinced that it's not weighted evenly. I, I don't believe it is either. But... I was thinking the other day um, that I almost want to abuse that. I yeah. want, hear me out, I want to make Stealer of Secrets OTK in an assassin. <laughs> because Lockpick gets a copy in the grave every time it puts yeah. one back. And yeah. you can, uh, Stealer of Secrets, um, Mentor's Ring on a giant bat. Right. to potentially swing for lethal. No, I mean, I, I, I have thought about putting Steeler Secrets and Mentor's Ring in other, color, in other deck combinations besides Battle Mage. And the problem you run into is that like you need more than 12 Magicka in those other colors. And right. You, do, it with, you like, do, but, yeah. but here's, here's, here's my train of thought on why I think it potentially works in Assassin. Assassin is right. the uh, going to give you access to the contracts, which both feed your action count and Magicka. Um, and lockpick is going to no, no, no here lockpick lock not pick only actually draws cards it doesn't happen no but here's the thing though lockpick feeds actions into the grave which is what you want and then when it finally does work if it discounts any piece of your combo that also gets you under the requirement for 13 magicka to pull it off right so Man, the only thing lockpick feeds into your grave is your win rate <laughs> um Circling back to my wife, because she's trying to monopolize the questions, she says, nice. that poor cat, what's the cat saying? Uh, Selena's letting us know that she has wares, and she wants to know if we have corn. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, Sandra went and took uh, gave her some snacks, so... Mm. Must, be, must be hungry. We're cat sitting for one of our friends, and uh, we brought her over to we brought Selena over to meet the other cats, and they got along all right. And uh, she's just been really talkative and jealous since she got back. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, good friend of the stream, Zombie Hunter, technically has like a two-in-one thing. First, for the last like conversation, he says lockpick hex mage, which could be interesting. Like that's a machine gun waiting to happen. Um, but he his question was also. Do you think the Echo was actually made just to be nerfed? Hmm. Right? Put on your tinfoil hat for a minute. Yeah. Um, speaking of hats, um, 
No, I don't think it was made just to be nerfed. I think that it was uh, probably not made just to be nerfed. Although it's an interesting idea. Because I will say that, like, when they nerfed it, I gained a lot of confidence in the future balance patches for Heroes of Skyrim cards. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, my, my instinct would be no. And the reason I would say that is not just because I'm, in general, anti-tinfoil hat, you know. Um, but I would say that it would be no because when you think about all the stuff that goes into a card being made, you would have to have a number of people along the way agreeing to making a really shady PR move. Like, you'd have to have yeah. the designers who worked on the card, like, basically knowingly come up with two versions. You'd have to um, have the people who code the card like be ready to go with two versions um like there's yeah. just in my head there's just too many like moments of collusion where a bunch of people who would like have to enter a morally gray area and agree with something for like ultimately a weird pr move when the other truth of the matter is and i think that a lot of people forget to make this distinction right uh, Direwolf literally just does the development. Bethesda isn't responsible for all of the PR, all of the marketing. I mean, I know they used to do it, but I fully and wholeheartedly believe there's a reason that we hear less directly from Direwolf than we used to in beta. They used to do like developer streams and they, they were, I'm not saying they're not because like Mayorcon will pop up every now and then, but they used to be a lot more active in the community. And since the yeah. quote unquote official launch of the game, um, it is much more a controlled message through Bethesda. So it is kind of like their, their baby, their PR, their marketing now. Um, and I don't think that, you know, Direwolf would, again, do this big, like, conspiratorial thing. Also, we know from, like, Reddit leaks from closed beta, like, almost two years ago now, that that, that expansion, like, Heroes of Skyrim was planned forever ago, right? So... Yeah. That is true. It's interesting though. I, I can't. I. I. I am not a conspiracy theory guy either, right? But I. I am thinking about that comment that was made recently about how. It it's easier to nerf something's casting cost because it takes less time to do. Oh, some the kinda... the text box. See, I think that that one was people are misinterpreting that, in in my yeah. opinion. So hear me out, right? So the the comment was. Um, basically uh, made that they were on a time frame for a balance patch and that one of the reasons that they adjusted Solterra's cost was because they were given like a directive to not touch the text box, right? So that sounds like somebody saying like, hey, like, you know, we're, we're handcuffing you here for what might be weird reasons. But one of the things that you have to remember is uh, there was a lot of pressure at the time for balance changes to be made, right? So yeah. they were on like this self-imposed clock to turn around something relatively quickly. Now, how do yeah. you turn something around quickly? You go with the lowest effort, highest return moves. Altering the text box of a card isn't just altering the text box. Keep that in mind. That is also somebody coding whatever the new effect is then right. passing that code through QA to make sure there's no bugs, making sure that yeah. there's no other un unintended like interactions. Like you can try to fix a problem through a nerf that actually makes another problem occur. 
Like when you right. functionally alter exactly how a card works, you're opening up a lot more doors. And if you're trying to have a quick turnaround, um, that's what I ultimately feel like they meant when they said, don't touch the text box. They were really saying, don't put in a lot of like effort that's going to delay this balance patch because we really need to turn something around because you know, A, there's pressure, and B, I have a sneaking sus suspicion that they had some internal analytics that also supported it, and so they they were doing it because of that. That makes sense. Yeah. I agree. I know, I know a lot of people read it, because again, we're, a lot of us that are veterans are used to, like, physical cards, so, you know, when somebody right. says, like, don't touch uh, the text box in our head, we're like, well, why not? Like, well, let's just make it do something new. Come on, guys. Like, let's be creative here. But when you, again, you think about all of the steps that are involved in the process, um, and, and it's a digital card game, like, coding and QA is a thing, right? So. Fair enough. Um, kazoo, right? Uh, please don't ban me. Can't promise anything. I like to get banny. But... Why doesn't Pete fucking Hines <laughs> talk to you guys and actually listen there? Thanks. Well, hey, uh, Pete Hines, if you're watching, we would love to have you as a guest on the show. Yeah? Come on down. Uh, yeah, so I guess for me, one, um, I mean, he doesn't talk to us because the guy's really busy. Like, I know we see him as, like, kind of the poster child for this game, but you have to remember, like, he's the VP of marketing at Bethesda, so, like, he's the poster child for every game. And it's right. easy for, I think, us to kind of, you know, take for granted how much he does pay attention to this game when he has so much on his plate. Um, that being said, he, he talks to at least me more than I would have ever expected him to, which is not a lot, I'll be up front, but I'm just you know, happy and blessed that we get any sort of dialogue with him at all. Um, I do think that he listens. I think that it's easy to forget that, um, like, listening and taking somebody's suggestions into account doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with and then enact those things, but I do wholeheartedly yeah. believe he takes some uh, uh, under advisement, but... Yeah. Uh, ultimately, yeah, I'd like to echo what Justin said. Uh, Pete, if you do watch this, or... Uh, even AJ, right? If you watch this, we would love to have either of you guys uh, on the show. Um, we can talk about whatever you want. Doesn't even have to be legends or balance, like soccer. Mm -hmm. All right, we can talk soccer, Pete. Just come on down. Uh, Mexican, we love you. Mexican national team. Two um, weeks in a row, getting a shout out here. You know, when I was a guest for the Bethesda stream, uh, I said to Justin, like almost immediately after, that my 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 only regret, like my biggest complaint from appearing was just that I didn't get to talk to Pete more because uh, before, like when we were doing the tech, you know, tests and so forth, uh, him and yeah. I chatted for like five minutes and he was very cool, very relatable. I said, I, yeah. you know, he felt like the kind of guy that I would, you know, love to play D and D with at a game night. Right. Like he just literally is, he's just like us. Like he loves games. It's very apparent when you talk to him and he is just as passionate about them as we are. Um, I agree. Yeah, I'll echo all that. I mean, I've certainly exchanged more direct messages with the vice president of Bethesda than I ever expected to in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one is more than I expected to, so I can echo that. Yep. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, somebody asks uh, in chat, Pete does the balance. No, 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 no. I don't think that Pete does the balance. Um, you know, Dyrol's definitely the one that's doing the balance. But again, there's like that weird relationship. And it's not weird, but like... Uh, Bethesda's ultimately likely in control of decisions. And then they communicate their like desires to uh, Direwolf. But I'm also sure that they give Direwolf um, you know, creative leeway because they trust them to make a quality product. Um, so I'm sure that there's a back and forth and things like that. It's just a, um, it's one of those things that obviously Pete has influence on and they all have, uh, you know, influence one way or the other. So. Yeah, I agree. You look like sad Ben Affleck right now. Like that's what your poor internet's done to you. Dude, I am sad. Like, I want to just jabber on and talk and stuff, but I I know that how irritating it is to hear people sound like a robot, so I'm trying to... You want to know what's funny? What's here's, here's the reason that I keep uh, Carrot on a sticking you. Since the moment you said, like, I think I'm just going to leave, blah, 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 um, yeah. I'm not saying it's been 100% fixed, but it has almost eliminated your audio problems. Like... <laughs> Maybe uh, my last second change to a different religion paid off. Yeah, like just there for a second it creeped up, but for the most part, it, it's been a bit since you've been... Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. You know, I can't see that uh, that robot icon in Twitch without thinking of um, Masan. Oh, <laughs> the, right. The Hearthstone streamer. You know, back when I played Hearthstone, actually, I played him one time. And so I immediately... After I played him, I hopped onto his Twitch because I was like, oh my god, I'm going... I beat him, by the way. And I, I, was, like, I'm gonna, I was like, I'm going to watch myself kick this dude's ass because I've heard he's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, no, no, it was... He, he was playing... His stream, he was playing a different deck. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Like Same, exact same name, but he's playing a different deck. So I know the guy's viewbotting or running VODs or whatever, but... yeah. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because I, I've I've streamed for like over two years now and I certainly yeah. didn't start with Test Legends. I've played a lot of games on stream and done different things. Mm. Um, before I came over to Legends, I was playing a indie game called The Culling um, yeah. and I was very active in that community. That was the game that actually like made me register for a Reddit account and start me down that fucking rabbit hole. But... Um, I loved that game, and uh, I was I was doing okay streaming that. It was like the first game that I had found that I was like relatively decent at, and I just remember again. I don't want to say the guy. I don't want to say the guy's name because I'm not like. like there's one thing you want to say, Masan, because that guy he deserves it, right? But like this guy, he probably okay. This guy probably deserves it too. But I'm just I'm not gonna do it, right? But there was a very yeah. well-known streamer who was streaming the game at the time, um, yeah. and I ran into him on uh three separate occasions in the same night and we were playing twos duos and me and my partner killed his team all three times right i didn't even know he was a streamer until after the third time my buddy says like oh man we're shitting on insert right. name here like yeah. i bet he's super pissed because he's naturally salty all the time anyway so then i yeah. I, I naturally like oh, oh all right whatever yeah. Pull, pull up immediately right like i pull up right. this thing to hop in his chat and i'm like hey hey man gg you know you know yeah. you'll get us next time you know just like whatever yeah and because i said hey in his chat i hadn't been there prior at all right but because i pop into right. the hey gg i get like a thousand people 
like stream snipe this blah 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 like immediately yeah. like that's the only reason he lost it all was because it was stream sniping and i was just like uh okay and it just everything about his chat confirmed what his my my buddy had said to expect yeah um, that makes sense tomorrow and chat the culling those were dark times no the culling was fun man so i uh i've had numerous people I've, I noticed like a lot of times when I queue into somebody, um, there's a huge pause for their first turn. And I've, on numerous occasions, I've accepted friend requests from people afterwards because I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. And they're like, yeah, man, I'm going to be honest. I was searching for you on Twitch when I first queued into you. <laughs> I was like, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll also say this. Um, there is 100% a, a different experience for me when I play on stream versus off stream. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't want this to sound like super fucking conceited because, uh, yeah. like I know nobody's probably like searching for me. I'm not, you know, yeah. the, the CVHs or the turquoise links of the world, but yeah. I do notice like, cause the name in Twitch is the exact same as the name in the game. And like the legends community isn't right. that big where people are impersonating like right. other people. Right. So like, I do notice when I'm being stream sniped, um, yeah. I, 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 I like I never call it out. I'm never like, oh hey, whatever. But yeah. like I do notice, and I do notice a big difference in my win rates on stream versus off stream. Um, though that's I think a combination of things. I don't think that's even necessarily streaming uh, and sniping as much as it is just focus. I think it's really. I think people take for granted how difficult it can be to like pay attention to the game and then like it also have like song requests going and notifications going off and then also trying to read chat when it's going by. Because, um, yeah. like, when I'm live, I feel like my service is meant to be chat interaction first, right? I, I, I feel like, um, I just feel like that that's, that's, you know, for the most part, like, what my number one responsibility is because, like, people showed up. And I, I don't know. I don't view myself as, like... I, I know I'm not bad at the game, but like, I don't view myself as like a number one top end player. So I, in my head, people aren't tuning in because they want to see like the greatest gameplay ever. So yeah. I feel like I just, uh, man, I, I, I've stream sniped a couple times. One time it was Dazer cause I, I was playing a really weird deck and I was, I was winning and, uh, but it was going to be a long match. And so I was like, I got to see what Dazer's thinking right now because i was hoping he'd just be like swearing a lot and real pissed but no he was having a great time so i yeah of I, course I, right yeah um but that was a good time uh, i did it to uh i did cvh once almost a year ago kicked the shit out of him because i was watching him play i mean like you know it, it was just it's nothing serious uh it just well i mean it, so that's part of it too right like any of the serious games right now like let's be honest unless somebody's like top five and they're really trying to push for number one or something yeah. like that. There's not really any, uh, yeah. you know, there's not like a drawback. Um, I guess for me, like I don't normally when I'm playing, like I, I play off stream so rarely that like, I'm not in a position yeah. to really stream snipe other people because I would already be then taking my own eyes off of chat and like into somebody else's and you know what I mean? Like it's hard for me if I even wanted to. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can really stream Twitch as it is. <laughs> like i have it set to 160p not because i'm farming drops but because my computer is a, my computer is great actually now but because my internet's awful <laughs> yeah um so i mean it is what it's, it is but the other so the other thing i wanted to say is like not even just the attention thing too but also 
um, I think people very easily forget or maybe they just don't know that like when I'm streaming at night it's usually because I've like either worked one job if not two jobs yeah. and then came home and like went to the gym and like hung out with my wife and kids and done dinner right. and story time and played and then I like and when I by the time I'm actually sitting down to stream like I'm already at the end of a long day that I probably got four hours sleep from the night before to begin with so like my mental faculties are just not there to begin with. Whereas when I do get the rare occasions to play off of stream, it's usually because like, you know, the wife is visiting, uh, you know, family or like something's going on and I just have the rare occasion that I can actually play during the day and focus. Um, yeah. So like I'm, I'm well rested. I haven't like worked all day. I'm also not paying attention to chat. And so there is a definite notice uh noticeable difference in my level of play like when i'm off stream and i'm focused versus when i'm streaming um just because of those factors like again like today like i got up and i worked and then i came home and i went to the gym um and then i was talking to my brother-in-law for a bit and then yeah. you, you know what i mean like it's just one of those like i've you know been up for yeah. 19, I mean, you got... 19 hours after getting four hours of sleep the night before and then after this i'm gonna turn around and then stream and play some games and i will 100 percent make play mistakes and chat will be like you know hey did you notice that play mistake you made or like geez like pro level Dude. play and i'm just like well yeah well fuck you too buddy <laughs> hold on i'm just remembering that you got called a salty butthole on reddit <laughs> that, that's actually why i'm saying this because the, the one person said I was a b-hole because, like, they they tuned into me for an hour and all I did was complain. And I, first of all, A, probably, I complain all the time. And B, um, a lot of times, this is, a, this is like a character flaw of mine. I think people yeah. confuse my thinking out loud with complaining sometimes. Because yeah. as a streamer, like, I don't want to just sit here quiet. Like, nobody wants the dead air. So a lot of times I am trying to, like, narrate my own internal thought processes. And when I'm losing or if I lose a game, in my head I'm trying to recap what the turning point was so that I can learn from it. So, like, if I say, like, at the end of the game, for example, like, you know, hey, you know, we only lost that because he hit Mystic Dragon on the first two runes, that doesn't... Yeah. It's not intended, when I say that, I'm not intending for that to like be an excuse. And I'm sure yeah. that there are plenty of people who take it that way. They hear it as like, he only loses and has excuses. But like, that's not my intention. I'm just narrating my own internal thought process where I'm thinking like, okay, what could I have done differently to change the outcome? Because if, I, if I'm trying to get better, that's only going to happen by identifying what I did wrong. And sometimes... Uh, what I did wrong was I gave my opponent two free Mystic Dragons, you know what I mean? So, um... <laughs> I understand that. Personally, I only lose because I played bad decks. <laughs> I mean, that's not true. I've played against you. <laughs> you you also lose because you play bad decks. Yeah, I'm also a bad player. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but you kind of suck. You should quit. No, um... Good looking at Good looking at Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, I complain a lot, and I'm a salty butthole, and I'm definitely <laughs> never positive. Um, I'm sorry, but, like, I haven't been able to stop thinking of the phrase salty butthole since I read that post. Yeah. It's amazing. 
I actually, I was trying to find a reason to use it at work today. He, that, <laughs> my, my one backhanded compliment to that guy might be the, only the second negative thing I've put on Reddit ever. Like, oh, if yeah. you look at my history, I am so the, like, exact opposite of a salty butthole. Yeah. That's true. It, I did think that was funny because you put, you, you write these, like, you know, novel length, like, well thought out reasoned, like, you know both sides of an issue kind of posts so to see her refer to as a salty butthole was pretty pretty amusing yeah if anything like i feel like i'm way saltier than you are uh but i, I also just am like ridiculous you know so i get away with being eccentric <laughs> yeah oh um so one of the questions is from my wife she wants to know if uh stark can say goodnight to me stark is my oldest son um I mean, I don't have a problem with that. If you want to bring him down, he can make a brief appearance. He can say hello to the podcast for the people who listen in the future. Um, but, yeah, sure. He's awesome. He's he's a more entertaining streamer than me. Like, I'm like the fifth most entertaining uh, streamer in my household. Like, my wife is number one, uh, by far. Um, and then it's Oi, my dog, and then Chairmer, and then Stark, and then and then maybe me, but Oh, he's coming. You're he's... top five, that's pretty good, man. Yeah, top five in my own household. I'm not even like top five in the Legends uh community uh for anything. Um You know I have 160 followers on Twitch. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Come on in, buddy. What are, you, what are you doing up? You're supposed to be sleeping. Yeah, but you forgot. Yeah, well, you want to come here and say hello to everybody? Sure. Shots fired. So this is this is Daddy's buddy, Justin. And then there's also a bunch of people hanging out and watching us. So you want to say hello? Like, we're here, there's the camera where the blue things are. You want to wave? Say hello. Hello. What's your, what's your name? Stark. Where'd you get your name? Who are you named after? Iron Man. Yeah, that's right. Nice. He says forehead security sometimes. <laughs> he does say forehead of security sometimes. Like was, in the movie. Yeah. It's because it, like he like goes close to someone. So, Stark, what question do you have for Daddy's friend Justin? Um... Did you know he has kitties? You know? Okay. What question do you have for him? The Halloween thing. The Halloween thing? Yeah. Uh, I love to wear costumes. Halloween's right around the corner. I, my first costume was last Halloween when Sander and I dressed up like a gorilla and a banana. He, he says that he loves to wear uh, costumes. Do you like to wear costumes? What's your favorite costume? Spider-Man. Spider-Man? That's a good choice. Spider-Man and Batman and Cat. And Spider-Man, Batman, and Cat? Uh-huh. All good choices. I mean, not Batman. We don't like Batman here, but you're allowed to like him. Yeah, that's... Batman's we don't have great. Batman. Then he's going to have to get it, but it's not going to be that good day. So. Alright, so, uh, Stark, what message do you have for the Test Legends community? If you could say anything to them at all, what would you say? You don't know? Yeah. This is your chance to say any message at all. 
I think I heard him say Nerf Solter. <laughs> Nothing? You're just clamming up. This is not like you at all. I'm just thinking about it. Oh, you're thinking about it? Yeah. You know, you're thinking awfully hard. Mm -hmm. I want to send them a Christmas. You want to send them a Christmas present? Yeah. Oh. That'd be funny. That would be kind of funny. Well, buddy, you've got to go back to bed then. <coughs> Nothing? Good night, buddy. All right, they all said good night. Love you. Hooray, Stark. He's normally so talkative. That's really weird. He must have been uh, nervous from uh, Justin looking like a young Santa Claus. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's cool, man. Oh, so for those of you who don't know... Um, Justin doesn't stream because he has robot voice, as we have witnessed tonight, and I stream so late at night because I have children who are normally sleeping right now, uh, but not. So this has been the best example of why Justin and I have the schedules that we do. <laughs> you know what? We do our best. Yeah, we definitely but we're do. We're also best. like aging men. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> we got lives. <laughs> oh, Hocus Crocus wants to see a Charmer versus Larson battle rap. And. Alright. I'm down. Nickname says I should fix my donation link. Was gonna donate for uh, a Stark a present. I don't understand what's wrong with it. It should still be working. <clears throat> Should just kick over to Streamlabs. Oh no, it doesn't. Wow. Well, I should in fact fix that, huh? Um. Oh, I see. Because they've altered it on me without telling me. Hooray, Streamlabs! I will definitely get that fixed. I apologize. I was uh, unaware that they had uh, made changes on me, but hooray! There we go. So uh, last time for uh, questions, let's get them in. Let's uh, take a, a couple more and then wrap her up. And I don't mean rapper as in battle rapper. I see that popping up. You know, I still have to uh, do some work tonight. <laughs> I have to get back. I have to go buy 19 pairs of steel-toed boots at Walmart because I have to give them to clients tomorrow. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got stuck with that job this week. Oh, Stark says that we should have a big Halloween party. Um, I would agree. I love Halloween. It's no, my favorite cool. holiday. There's a fun oh, fact, yeah. uh, piece of trivia for you. Halloween is Charmer's favorite holiday. Yeah, it's Sanders' favorite holiday, too. Halloween is just one of those holidays that is uh, great for you at every stage of your life. Like, when you're a kid, you're excited about candy... Like, when you're a teen, you're excited about egging houses. 
when you're in college, you're excited about all of the co-eds dressing like slutty whatevers. Um, then when you're an adult, you're excited about like scaring kids in your neighborhood. And then when you're a grandparent uh, or an elderly person, you're excited about giving away like apples when everybody expects to get candy and you can disappoint them. Um, it's just, it's just awesome. You, you left out a stage there because after you're an elder and you die and you come back as a ghost, you look forward to possessing the souls of uh, innocent children and yeah, I mean, on their lives. Uh, the veil is thinnest on All Hallows' Eve, so... Right. <laughs> Hocus Crocus. As an adult, I'm still excited about college girls uh, dressed as slutty versions of whatever their costume are. I mean, sure. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, Ray Ray says America is cooked. I, th I assume he means cooped. Uh, Australian holidays are way different. Um, I, I, would, I would believe it. They're probably the same as all of ours, but backwards or upside down, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Yeah, the, the, the Easter Wombat. Yeah, the Easter Wombat. Um, yeah, I will say I wish that we did more with Krampus here in the U.S., but again, I clearly, in case you didn't notice, I like scaring small children, so. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Kazoo says, thanks for the great content, guys. You are a huge reason I enjoy uh, Test Legends. Have a good night. Oh. Later. I might be the perfect one to, uh, that might be the perfect one to, to end on. I don't know how you're going to top that. Yeah, that's good. I promise I will sort out my technical end of this before next week. <laughs> yeah, and I promise I will still have kids next week, so that's always a risk. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So. Good times. This was a good topic. I mean, I, I love talking about color theory and stuff i was just so distraught by my internet connection that I yeah didn't yeah i mean i think it was a good topic too and i i look forward um i look forward to stuff like that i i just like talking about the game in general it's the whole reason i started streaming right i like having discussions and hanging out with people who enjoy the same things as me and it's the sort yeah. of thing it's like you know i can't have exactly. these conversations like when i'm at the in-laws or when i'm at work and i can't do those things so um right. This is my outlet, man. So thanks to everybody for hanging out and letting us talk shop. Yeah. Yeah, nobody I know in real life gives a shit about <laughs> me playing Elder Scrolls Legends. Although, although they do know about the channel now. Yeah. So. All right. All right. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see it. <laughs> Good well, times, man. Yeah, yeah. We, we, well, we persevered today. We'll see you next week. Um... You know, as always, you can find us through social media, and yeah. this will be on YouTube. Uh, the audio will end up on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, you can contact us with uh, ideas for topics. Um, we love, you know, hearing that from you. We love feedback. Um, I was trying to yeah. listen to feedback uh, this week. One of the pieces of feedback that I got last week were... Uh, that not everybody has played Magic or other card games, so if you make references, just try to explain it. So I was trying to take that feedback to heart. We do listen. Um, you know, thanks for tuning in, and 
Uh, we'll see ya. Uh, on my end, I'm gonna be streaming after this, like always, so um, I'll put up the short break screen um, so that I can uh, get things around for that, and then uh, I'll be playing some games. So if you want to see uh, Ladder Grind, uh, stick around. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. Um, see you next week.